welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? We've switched voices. Yeah. I was sick last time. Yeah. Or I guess because of the order we recorded in, I was sick two weeks ago. That's true, yeah. Um, and now you're quite yeah. clearly sick, at least to me. I don't know if the listener can tell. Yeah, well, I'm not as boisterous as I usually am, and <laughs> uh, and my voice might get a little bit worse as the episode goes on. Hopefully not, but... Uh, yeah, it sucks. Tea? I was uh, no, I hate tea. Oh well, I hate it so much. In fact, you can you can go back because I was sick. sacrifice the voice for the. I know for no tea. You know what? Like, I I don't want to throw up on Mike, uh, and that's what'll <laughs> happen. In fact, if you listen to the more than one lesson in which we talk about going clear, uh, Jen brings in what I thought was hot water and honey and lemon, and it turns out it was tea, hmm. and I didn't know that. And maybe that's sure, the, yeah, that's the issue. You don't know. Yeah. And so I take a drink on mic and you can hear me gag on mic and I didn't cut it out because I want to be you know, I want to be real on the other <laughs> on the other show. And uh, yeah, so uh, but I'm fine with my I think now I'm not a doctor, but I do think that Propel Zero Grape has uh, medicinal qualities when it comes it's to got, your voice. Yeah, it's got like oxidants, antioxidants. Vitamins and minerals. Well, look here. It's zero calories. Fluoride, probably. I know, I know calories are bad <laughs> for your bad. voice, right? No, yeah. N- uh, no empty calories or calories at all. Right. It's probably got no trans fats in it. Oh, are you actually reading the, no, the side No, I'm just here? making oh, okay. up stuff that I know is in stuff. Oh, it's got citric acid. I don't like acid. That's going to burn. That's going to burn away at my, but this is the citric. It's the good kind of, you know, there's like, there's, there's good fat and good calories. Citric acid is the good acid. You know what? I, and I know where to get you some good acid. There we go. Uh, (laughs) you know what? It's probably gluten free too. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to bring something up, uh, that we've announced on Facebook and Twitter, but not on the actual show. Speaking of bad acid, this is exciting. The acid that the alien that the xenomorphs use for blood is very bad acid uh, because it'll Not burn good through. For you. It'll burn through your hull. It'll give you a bad trip. Absolutely. Just ask Private Drake, played by Mark Rolston. Yes, I've been watching all of them lately. Yeah. Now is um, Prometheus coming into play? Nope. No, and you've already probably covered that, that Prometheus. And are you? No, guys, we're, we're just talking about it now for the first time. So yeah, that was, we a, good, that was a good show. question. You haven't addressed. Yeah, and now yeah. are you guys Prometheus dis- haters or are you guys? I think I am a Prometheus hater. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say hater because I'm too ambivalent about it. I just don't right. care. Now, if you if you had no if if you, it was just a standalone movie, if it were just some sort of event horizon sphere. Something like that. You're like it's some sci-fi movie. I'll check it out. It had nothing to do. You didn't know I've had anything to do with with the alien movies. I would, still, la- not, I would last, still not like it. Still not like it. Then that last image would be weird <laughs> uh, if it was not related to Alien at all. Uh-huh. Um, there are but things I like about. I think movie. I think Michael Fassbender's great. He's my it. favorite part of the movie. Um, I'm a bit of a Prometheus defender because I was apologist. like apologist. Yeah, apologist because it's like I think it got shit on real hard and uh, yeah. and. Uh, and I was sort of like, there's some good stuff in here. There's some, I mean, of course, there's always good imagery, uh, and I appreciate what Ridley Scott is doing, but I think, and I, I recognize that it doesn't all have to be about script, but like, it just, it felt so, I don't use this term a lot, so I'm going to relish the opportunity to use it now. It all felt so slapdash uh-huh. that uh, after a while I was like, I'm with you on that. You had I'm a long time. Also, 
just little character things. And I remember, I, I think we talked about this with Will Anderson once upon a time. Okay. Where there's uh, this character who makes a big deal about how into self-preservation he is. Meanwhile, when that weird snake-looking thing shows up. Oh, he like, takes could, off his helmet. And yeah. He's like, and he's like, oh, it's beautiful. And it's like, first off, I recognize beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but no, it's not. And also... You have no idea if this thing is friendly, but you're going to get in real close. The guy who just made it clear that you're into self-preservation. Like, it's just the characters are whatever the filmmaker needs them to be. And that bothered me a lot. But you say slapdash. I say half baked, half baked. I'll say the worst part of Prometheus is is when those guys are like, hey, look at this thing. It's kind of cute. Let's touch it. Yeah, that's that's what I was saying. That's That's the worst part. Damn it. You were just saying that just now? Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The only part I remember is writing notes on something. Tonight, Josh will be playing the role of David, the guy who doesn't pay attention when Tyler talks. Is that what you usually do? I've been been caught a couple times taking notes and then repeating something that Tyler has just said. Wouldn't it be nice if (laughs) that part went unfilled? Well, listen, it's it's a podcast, so someone's listening. I they may not so. be in the room, but I mean, don't get me exactly. wrong. I like, tune out when I'm talking too. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, so but you were like, oh, when say, you're on the podcast, you make a joke and no one at the table hears it, mm-hmm. but you know the mic picked it up, so you're like, oh, fine, people will know oh, yeah, I made this absolutely. joke. Absolutely, yeah, I do that all the time. Uh, so all this is to say, by the way, all this Prometheus talk, uh, which is the only Prometheus talk you're going to get uh, for the next few weeks. Wrap it up. So, uh, back in November of 2014, we put together a commentary, a series of commentary tracks for the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, and we enjoyed doing it so much that we're going to do it again with the alien, I'm going to say anthology. Oh, because that's what they call it. Thankfully, you're going AVP. What? Are you going AVP? No, of course not. Well, because I, I I was going to say quadrilogy. Yes, uh, anthology would include AVP. I would. I don't think that's canon. Uh, Presence of Lance Henriksen aside, Uh Um, but no, uh, yeah, quadrilogy uh, is not actually a word. It was created specifically for that thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I was using it ironically. But on Blu-ray, when they released it on Blu-ray, they say Alien Anthology. I think they were like quadrilogy. We're embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Sorry about that, guys. (laughs) Dumb. Uh, It's like if you're going to spend the money on uh, Blu-ray, you're not going to get fake words. Um, and so, yes, we are going to be doing, uh, it'll be available probably June 8th or 9th. We're recording it June 7th. Uh, we are going to spend all day long, uh, watching alien aliens, alien three and alien resurrection theatrical cuts only. Yeah. Uh, and I say that as someone who just recently watched the assembly cut of alien three. It is admittedly much, much better. Well, where'd you see that? Uh, that's in the Blu-ray uh, set. Really? It's it's pretty good. So did they? Did David Fincher have anything to do? Is he like, screw you he guys, did. I'm not going uh, to... He did it. have input on it, yes. As did uh, uh, the original editor who was, who worked very closely. Because I, um, I heard that at one point Fox was like, David Fincher, we love you. Want to maybe come back? And then he was like, screw that. Yeah, uh, that's, I don't want anything to do with it. I think that was the case for the for the DVD, but uh, and now he's like, I'm right, I'll give it a crack. I mean, he's not doing any commentaries. He's not doing any interviews. It's just he had input on the assembly. Did they cut clean the it up, or is it kind of a beat up? Assembly? No, they cleaned it up. Uh, apparently, the assembly cut is still there for the DVD, but like the uh, some of the audio is not good, oh. uh, and and it st- and the the printer, whatever you call it, doesn't look that great. But right. apparently, for Blu-ray, they actually brought some of the actors in. 
to redub their lines and they cleaned it up and it looks really good don't get me wrong uh that the uh compositing of the alien onto the uh on into the actual sets is never going to look good ever uh but that's not their fault right well let's save this talk for yes, the yes. commentary so which will be available it'll on be june a, 8th or 9th june 8th or 9th and so i was gonna say something about that stapler thing again but Anyway, there's a, there was a meme jumping around on my friend's Facebook wall that it was a picture of Sigourney Weaver in Alien 3, you know, squinting her eyes and turning her head away, you know? Yeah. And uh, it was like a printout of it, like, p- p- leaning against a mug, and then, like, someone brings a stapler in to the frame, <laughs> and then, like, the, you know, stapler thing pops out. The, yeah. The, the reload stapler right. thing. I thought it was pretty good. I like that. I'm yeah. glad we took the time to Absolutely. Yeah, address that. Yeah. So... Uh, so David and I will be there for every single minute of the commentary, but like the Lord of the Rings, we will be having guests and I will announce only one of them because he's here right now. Oh, and this would be a way to introduce a guest who hasn't been introduced yet. Yeah, that's true. Thank you for sitting so quietly and not talking while we waited to introduce you. Is that, are you being facetious? Uh, Yeah, I'm just making a little joke. Uh, Sometimes I hear these things, I just can't contain them. (laughs) I I have to contribute. Um, But yeah, so that'll be available. You still haven't introduced him. No, because I'm still talking about the alien thing. uh, You're about to announce one of the guests. Oh yeah, Josh Fadum, and he's here right now. Anyway, (laughs) welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you. Thank you. Now let's get down to brass tacks and money. All right, money, baby. So it'll be three dollars per commentary track, or you can get all four for ten. Ten dollars for the lot. So that's for that's the, two bucks. It'll save you two bucks. Yeah. So and that's uh, that's about nine hours of uh, commentary. And it all goes to charity. Well, I mean, if you view me as a as a charity case, which I do, yes, you know, uh, at least for uh, a number of legal reasons, that's uh, how it, it goes, works. To be clear, it goes to. The podcast and the website, which yes. is great. Like, we're and not we're having a great time. Yeah. You don't get pod. You don't get content. You know, sometimes you get free content like this. You got to help out. You got to chip in. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to make it clear. I'm not like pocketing half of it and then running off to the comic book store or something. Right. No, you get 75 percent. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, running that, off to the rent check guy. Yeah. Giving them the rent check so Absolutely. that you can keep, keep delivering the lights on. Sharp yeah. commentary, paying the bills, helping out. You say, we like what you do. We're contributing a little more. We love when you get great guests like Josh Fadum, even though there's a handful of trolls over the past few years <laughs> who comment, who just think, oh, I don't give a crap if someone reads this and it hurts their feelings because I'm a rotten piece of crap myself. <laughs> but... <laughs> We get, you know, if those guys want to keep listening to people like me and the great other guests that you get, they'll they'll throw out a couple dollars, listen to this great commentary. There you go. Don't be a piece of crap. Yeah. Buy the commentary. Leave your nasty comments to yourself, because I read them, and they hurt my feelings. And that's why I'm being a little more subdued right now. Just to let you guys know, I'm a guy who's a good guy, but wait till we get to the end of this podcast. Boy, I'm going to be ripping and roaring right now. I'm just calm down. I'll give you a little, wait, flies with honey. Catching with some honey. You, you see, he, you know, actually, I was wrong about him. He's not so bad. And then, oh boy, well, well I'm gonna let something out. I don't know. We'll see what happens. You know what should happen is uh, if some if if somebody ever like confronted you on the street who listened to the show and said like, oh, I hate when you're on the show. You should just yell boring at them. Yeah, <laughs> boring, boring. Um, I have had what we should do. We tweet. should have an episode with you and Asterios Kokonos on and just listen to the two of you guys. Hey, we'll just, just go. He lets it out yeah. too, huh? Yeah. yeah. So what are the comments about him? Just we love Asterios though. Asterios <laughs> <laughs> is great though. They're the same comments with you. Some yeah. people love him, including but us. But here's the thing. Early on, 
when I first started being a guest on here, you know, uh, and I was one of the more frequent guests, people would be like, we love this Josh Fano guy. He's wacky. He's got a lot of energy and he's great. And I think the first time, first time I was on here afterwards, like this was a great episode. We got to have you back. And I was like, I don't think I'm changing my shtick. (laughs) I think it's the, something happened in the audience. space. I think the audience has grown. So now there's people, Yeah, they're adults. Now we were in our (laughs) twenties. I mean, grown in terms of like expanded, right? Like there's more of them. So I think they're, the, People also come to you, us for all sorts of different reasons. Right. Also, you became... Because we are doing a weird thing where we're like a serious movie podcast. Right, where we right. talk about like art films and we talk about big like critical like in film theory ideas. Right. And then we also have comedians on. Yeah. Right. Like it, it is a weird niche show. Right. And so we end up getting yeah. people To who, fill the people in who said, well, why this comedian... Because I'm also a film nerd, I was on the same caliber as you guys, I and that was one of the clicking. Far exceed us. I think, well, yeah, I you've know. seen more I, movies. I don't know. I don't know. There's. I'm sure we could. You know, it's weird because my brain gets atrophied having not worked at a video store for a year or so, and I'm like, wait, which ones? I, I you know, like I'm not as quick as I am when I'm sure. seeing them every day. But anyway, for those who are like, I missed the first episode with Josh Fadum. I don't get it. I'm a guy. I worked at a video store for ten years, one of the foremost video stores in Los Angeles, which is called Cinephile Video. I see them come and Santa go. Monica not, and Sawtell. Santa Monica and Sawtell. I I I watched. I probably at some point. Uh, I think the most movies I watched in one year. I, I think I hit four hundred, which I I feel like there's people who've topped me, and I'm like ashamed of myself to say it. But four hundred one year, three hundred another year, movie a day every year. Pat Healy's probably topped me a couple times. Yeah, I think yeah. he's done a couple four hundred four hundreds of years before. I'm at okay. It's current. It's May twenty eighth. We're recording, and I've seen as far as movies that were new to me, not right. rewatches. Right. I count a- rewatches now. I didn't used to. I do them now. Okay. I've seen a hundred and one so far new to in twenty fifteen. Yeah. Uh. That I don't even know. I've it, had it, a, it would, it would you don't write them down. It would bum me out. I do write them down, but I don't have the number uh, right. uh, on me. It's probably like sixty or seventy. Yeah, I I, I did a. I, I'm I've been busy and broke this year, so I've been not as on top of it. Um, but last year I broke. Speaking of broke, broke my wrist, and I yeah. had a whole month or two where I watched like I think I watched like sixty two movies in a month. It was crazy. I just kept going and like burning through them i think i watched probably about 10 bogart movies i hadn't seen yeah. just to be like well now i know my bogart well enough ish he's Did got you a lot see of movies, the desperate hours yes that's a great scene one. in a lonely place yes i would already one. seen that one the best that's the, his best performance i think the one that i loved the most which maybe wasn't his best performance actually you're right in a lonely place probably his best the one i loved the most was uh um see now i see because i'm not working the video store i'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of it the harder they uh, the harder they come, I think. The harder they fall. Harder they well, come is the oh, harder the, they fall. Yeah, yeah harder yeah. they fall. The, the Mark uh, Robeson. It was written by the guy. And see, here's another thing. My brain is atrophied. The guy who wrote the book on the of on the waterfront. Yeah, okay. Is Rod Steiger in that? Yeah, and okay. it's great yeah, because the one. you've got Steiger doing this thing. He's doing this hey a method guy thing. Hey, you know, hey, buddy, 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 and you got you know Bogart. He's doing his Bogart thing. Well, look, this fight is no good. He's a failure. He's no good. It's really cool to like watch him go opposite each other. But that one I love. That was like a. That's a good one. I like that one a lot. Yeah. I remember seeing that one and uh, the setup like within like two weeks of each other by weird coincidence. I haven't seen that one. I recently watched To Have and Have Not. Eh. 
Yeah, I saw that. It's fine. Oh, it just seems like it's I like, love it's, that one. It's like a year after Casablanca, and it seems like they're really the, the studio I like just it more to than Casablanca. Recreate that. I, I, it, I think their chemistry is like hot stuff. That's definitely the selling. That's like, I mean, yeah. there's no. Yeah, the chemistry of them is just so. I mean, you get. I would get why 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 Lauren Bacall became a star off that. Because, oh sure. You know, she was just so good. I think I even memed. I or not me. I Instagrammed this clip of her where she goes like, "I wouldn't. I'm not mad at you. I wouldn't." be mad at you at all and then she like flutters her eyelashes and it's just like it's so cool to see actors from that time period doing something not stiff and yeah. kind of kooky and weird you know yeah. um cause you know you watch an old movie now when you're so used to you know people all about naturalism and they do something maybe it's not natural per se but it's really alive or animated and you're just like that's why I like Jimmy Stewart. Like, I always felt like he was very in the moment. Like, even yeah. though, he, like, he could seem stiff to a certain extent, but, like, he seemed so at ease in front of the camera, uh, whether it be, like, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington or especially stuff like um, uh, Anatomy of a Murder. Right. Um, and I, But I guess that was a little bit, like, that was, like, the 50s or yeah, know, yeah. so. But, like, even in the 30s, like... Uh, Philadelphia story was 1940. Yeah. I he was great in that. Yeah. And like, I don't know, he was just uh, very comfortable in his own skin. Yeah. Um, maybe because he, he was a younger guy. Like, he was younger than Bogart. And, he was probably and, the new kid on the scene at some point. But he's, yeah. I mean, he's he was older than a lot of people. Like, he was... He was, older than, he was older than Edward G. Robinson. That's not true. Oh, is he? No well, one was. That's not true. He was the oldest. Uh, all right, well... Anyway, um, nice tangent. And yeah, that's, sorry. that's who Josh... Come on, but I just come on then, here sometime and talk about movies. How fun is that? that we, just, just, uh, we should just try a... Hey, how many? How, how off far on a tangent can we go yeah. talking about movies? Episodes? I would absolutely But I like this uh, reintroducing you to the listeners, because right. since your first episode, you're not, not, you didn't just work at a video store and right. break your wrist. You were also <laughs> <laughs> you were also on TV a lot. Uh-huh. You were on Reader 911, and you were on a handful of 30 Rock episodes, uh-huh. which my, which my brothers recognized you from at my wedding. Oh, yeah. They were like, is that is that Liz Lemon's manager or agent? <laughs> yeah. Um, Recently on Better Call Saul. Yeah. Which I actually didn't get a chance to see, unfortunately. It's all right. I haven't watched any of it. Is it a good show? I loved it. No joke. Not even bullshitting. But also, I don't really watch a lot of television. But I watched Break. I hadn't seen Breaking Bad. And I, after shot it, I went and I was like, well, I better review Breaking Bad. And of course, I was, you know, really into it. It was very effective. But I also felt kind of ill after watching it. Like, oh. Oh, uh, it's too intense. Oh no! Like I don't think I can't think of anything that really made me feel so on the so. Oh God, what's gonna happen? I'm gonna burst. Like, and I would also I don't recommend binge watching it because it yeah, makes you think like be exhausting. You're like, oh, I'm so feel so bad that I beat up Jesse. Oh, I hope no one finds out I killed someone. Oh. Oh, I hope my my brother in law doesn't find out or whatever. And you're like, oh, this isn't my life. This is <laughs> I, this is someone else's life. I uh, there's only a couple of shows that I feel like I cannot binge watch. One is Hannibal. Uh-huh. Um, I watched like three in a row, and I felt it's heavy, bad. Like I felt like I was so deeply aware of the evil of the world at that point. And then, so I've been sick, and then Jen was out of town, so I was just sitting at home all day long, and so. I watched the first two seasons of Bates Motel. Ah, and it's bad. not that it's not that good of a show. Uh, Vera Farmiga well, is of thing, course great. One thing I'll say about that is uh, it's on A and E or something like that. Yeah, and the bill the poster for it, I thought was really funny. It's a, it's a picture of it has Bates Motel and it goes original, original <laughs> ideas. <laughs> uh, like that's actually the very definition of not <laughs> right. not original idea. Uh, 
but that's that's one that I mean I did binge watch it, but and frankly I also because I'm I was sick I wasn't in the best mindset anyway. Right. But that's one where it's just after a while I was like I just found myself exhausted because just it's almost like the show's pr- kind of campy. I don't know if they know it. Yeah. But it is. But also after a while it's like it's just these characters constantly trying to hide stuff and and it, it's almost kooky after a while. But I found it just exhausting where I'm like. How many times just can like, you just cover tell up some, Norman Bates or yeah, from me? Like, just, just tell the truth. You're hurt. <laughs> but I realized like, like mental illness or something. You know what yeah. show did that well was The Shield, which is like mm. seven seasons, I think. And like the first two seasons are where he does a bunch of bad shit. And then it's just like five seasons of him trying to not get caught for the shit he did in the first two seasons. And having only watched through like up to and including some of season three, uh, I remember that was one where I was like, it's pretty intense. I don't know how much of this I can watch. Yeah, those first two seasons I don't stand by. I mean, you you need to watch them if you're going to watch the whole thing. But I, I, I find The Shield to be a really hard show to recommend to people. Because it's hard to say, all right, you just got to watch these first 28 episodes. <laughs> just get to the first 28 hours of television, and then it gets good. Those first two seasons very much seem like HBO's little brother being like, hey, guys, no, I can do it, too. Look, yeah. see? And look, yeah, look at this crazy stuff we can get away with. Like yeah. when he uh, puts when, the guy's face on the stove. Yeah, he turns on the electric stove. You watch The Shield? No. This is how he, like, tortures a drug dealer. He turns on the electric stove and then presses his face against it. Uh-huh. So it burns, and then he... And then they, the shot even had like he pulls the guy's face away and pieces of and some of the like uh, stuck to the ah, stove. Cool. Pretty rough, but that's it yeah. Was, but it's like just them trying to get it, like seeing how much they can push the envelope. Right, yeah. uh, it gets kind of annoying. Yeah. But uh, let's. Uh, By the way, Better Call Saul is great. Better Call Saul is great, and I've been binge watching Columbo a lot. Oh, cool! Columbo is is a good time. I gotta watch so more. I, older I started shows with, like and that. I started with the first episode on Netflix, and then when it was over, it said directed by Steven Spielberg, and then it was like written by Steven Bochco, and I was like. Wow. Is that? I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't. I mean, I don't know if it's, I, it's the first one that's on Netflix. I don't know if it's the official first right. pilot, but yeah. So what year would that have been? 71. It feels it's so great. If you love LA, I mean, LA, the LA is all over the place. What year is dual? Uh, it's like 74. Wow. Three. So this isn't John. like, it isn't like, no, when, it's, it's probably 70. Duel's probably 70. Duels before well, Sugarland Express. Express. So it's seventy. Maybe it's seventy two or something. It's before Duel. Though. Yeah, I he's, think he's so. young. So if only we had someone to look up when Duel came out. Um, another got, thing I've I got would know sponsorship here. I don't, <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, but uh, so this isn't like when Quentin Tarantino did an episode of ER when it was like a it wasn't like a stunt no no thing. he was no he wasn't he was a, right. a eager kid he was probably probably had to be like twenty four or twenty five awesome. or something like that that's awesome um, I, re- I really enjoy. Uh, Peter Falk, uh, just in general, like I only ever knew him as Columbo and then occasionally like in grandpas or something. Like yeah. That. Yeah. And then of course I started watching John Cassavetes movies. Yeah. Cassavetes uh, is also, there's an episode I watched that Cassavetes plays a bad guy and it's great. And I think sure. I IMDb'd that they both kind of co-directed it or uncredited directed on IMDb and it's actually directed by the Nicholas Constanto or whatever his name is from Cheers who died. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite, I was talking with somebody about this. Did you ever see the cheap detective? No. The uh, Neil Simon thing. All right. It's not great. Yeah. There are two jokes that I absolutely love. Like love. One is, uh, cause Peter Falk's doing like a Bogart type thing. Right. And there comes a moment when inevitably a woman slaps him. Of right. course. Right. And when it does, he just takes a beat and he just goes, 
I swallowed my gum. <laughs> and it's like, that's, that's hilarious. The other one. I swallowed my gum. <laughs> oh, the other one. Sorry. The other one is, I, I can't, I can't even like begin to talk about how amazing it is. It's John Hausman. So in the, uh, in the uh, Sydney Green Street type of role. And so he meets, uh, he meets uh, Peter Falk in like a Chinese restaurant. And so he's sitting there and he's like, would you like a drink? And he goes, he goes, uh, yeah, I'll take a brandy. And so he uh, calls to the waiter, goes one gin sling. And he's like, he goes, uh, I ordered a brandy. He goes, no, no, no. Gin sling is the, uh, he says, no, one gin sling is the name of the waiter. And he goes, one brandy, one gin sling. <laughs> so, okay. Hang on. Not bad so far. Right. Yeah, that's good. So then the waiter <laughs> the waiter gives him a drink and Peter Falk looks and goes, This is a gin sling. And then John Hausman goes, Damn, I was wrong. The waiter's <laughs> name is Brandy. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's wait, oh, what's that called? What movie is it? Cheap Detective. I haven't seen that. It's I gotta great. watch that. It's Neil Simon wrote it and it's got a great cast. Wait, I was wrong. Did wait John Hausman can deliver a comedy punchline real well. Yeah, you wouldn't think it, but no. yeah, it's just it just uh, I think the first time I saw him was Naked Gun. Extend your arm. Extend your middle finger. <laughs> right. <laughs> Such uh, a funny cameo. Um, all right. Don, Don DeLuise is in that in the uh, Peter uh, Laurie type of role. Ah, oh, man. I got to say this movie. Yeah, um, I think you'd enjoy it. Now, yeah. you guys wanted to talk about Mad Max Fury Road, yeah. but we've been going for quite a while. I was just going to say, well, we were talking about before we started recording, I, I thought it was the best movie that you'll see this year, and it was... I've been obsessed with Speaking of obsessive binge watching, you know, I keep track of everything I saw. I've seen Mad Max Fury Road three times, and then I watched Road Warrior the night before, and I've since rewatched Road Warrior twice, and I watched Thunderdome and Mad Max only because I've got Mad Max on the brain. I right. got Mad Max fever. Boy, I couldn't get it. I saw it. I saw it two nights ago again for the third time, and I went to see it with my girlfriend because she hadn't seen it yet. And, uh, yeah, I, I'll see it again. I'm excited yeah. to see it again. I love that feeling when you see a movie and you're so nuts about it that you're like, I need to see it again. And in between, I'm going to like, uh, like when I, uh, I loved Django Unchained so much. I right. saw that three times. But in between, I'd be like, I got to watch every trailer they released. Like right. in between, because like, I can't see the movie again right now because it's in theaters <laughs> yeah. and I'm at work. So uh, I just like watch trailers it all just day. Becomes a, just, how did they do that? I mean, Mad Max, like every department is firing on all cil- cylinders, you know, the yeah. stunt team. The camera department, the you know the the costumes, the design, just uh, everything about it is just a, a, a totally artistic achievement. You know, I was telling David uh, before we started recording, actually before you got here, that like it's such a. I mean, I you know I enjoyed Avengers. I'm sure there will be other summer movies that I enjoy, but even within that. I understand. Like I enjoy them for what they are, which is summer movies that have had the edges shaved off. Mm-hmm. This does not have the edges shaved off. It feels fresh. It feels vibrant. It feels vital. Yeah. It feels yeah. It fe- and there's it, nothing. I can't think of them. It's like it's so. It's almost feels like a no brainer of a great movie. And you're like, I really, I honestly been racking my brain. I can't think of a movie like it. In that that the way that it keeps the ball in the air. You know what I mean? And the way you're just from scene to scene, like. Oh God! You you just are just so into this. You're not even thinking about the craft of it. You're just into what where it's ping ponging your eyes to. You know. Well, and I think some of it is that just the the structure of the film is such that it 
it's constantly, it's obviously the film is propulsive because yeah. everyone's always moving forward yeah. constantly. Yeah. Just, it doesn't matter. Like, and if, if the characters, if our main characters stop for too long, George Miller wisely will show the people that are following them. They're right there yeah. in the background. Like, and in, and if they, if these people don't start moving in about seven minutes, these people will be on them. So like, it's just, it keeps you going, but it also knows when to stop to, so that we can catch our breath yeah. and reestablish stakes and that sort of thing. And like, it's just such a, it's such a even those, beautifully those, crafted film. Yeah. And with that much action, it would have been very easy for it to just start to flatline. But again, like he understands, like you need kind of peaks and valleys Yeah, and it's, it lets yeah. you know what a master filmmaker that guy is. And yeah. it makes you bummed out that it's like, man, why does he only have 13 movies? It's not fair. He yeah. should have. And it's crazy. It's almost like if you ignore the Babe movies and Happy Feet, it's like he hasn't made a movie in twenty years or something. Yeah, but like why that. would we ignore those? Because Babe, well, I'm just City saying if, you, if you're not if you're not thinking about these you know kids movies, which I do agree, Babe, Pig in the City is great, but yeah. and Babe is great, you know, yeah. which he wrote, but um, yeah, but if you think about like you know Lorenzo's Oils, like the last not kids movie <laughs> that he made, it was ninety ninety two. Yeah. And I, I've seen Lorenzo's Oil, and it doesn't uh, feel like Fury Road. Did right. uh, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. There was that scene where, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, uh, Come on. I, okay. I, I don't have the all right. Let's move on from Mad Max. Yeah. But I do want to mention, did it, anyone besides me see it was not a good movie? That uh, The movie Paul, the alien movie, the Simon no. Pegg and Nick Frost. Alien? I passed. Okay. So you didn't know the joke. The One, one of the few really good jokes in the movie is that... Um, uh, Patrick, no, what's his name? Loser Jack, Dorksville. Who's the guy from Arrested Development? Will Arnett. Uh, Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman. I, I keep wanting to say Patrick Bateman. That's, a That's different American guy. Psycho. Different guy. I Jason say Bateman. Patrick Warburton. That's why so, I said Will Arnett. Jason Bateman plays a like a CIA guy or FBI guy or something named Agent Zoyle, and you find out in the last scene that his first name is Lorenzo. <laughs> that's funny that's like one of the few good jokes in the movie that's that pretty good laugh. alright let's play some bills absolutely oh and I should say the reason that uh, we had wanted to mention uh, uh, that, that I wanted to bring up Fury Road just a moment is because uh, Josh is regularly on to talk about like the, for summer movie preview and you're not excited about most movies. No. Uh, so I, like, wanna... I could give a shit about the Avengers. To me, that's not even a real movie. <laughs> that's like comic book. That's not. That's not even. That's that's. Here's what highlights how Mad Max is a movie, and it's set in movie. It's for movie makers, and 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 Avengers isn't even for people who like movies. It's for comic book. It's not even a movie. It's a. It's all made on a computer. Mad Max is made with departments, and you know, like the the with a, a stunt team of artists. You know, uh, uh, editing artists. You know, it's not all. It's you know what I'm saying. Sorry. I know what you're saying. You were gonna say, I, I, I and you were going to set me up to be like you were going to set me up to be like Josh is actually being positive, and here I am. Fuck that shit, garbage. Yeah. Fuck is all this shit. Yeah, yeah and really, I disagree I, because I really liked Age of Ultron quite a bit, and I'm a big Josh Whedon fan. But I will say that like. Yeah, I mean, like, I enjoy superhero movies, I enjoy summer movies, and then I see this, and I was like, right, I forgot that action movies can be this, if right. somebody chooses to. Right. But anyway, so I wanted to expose people to the idea that this is a movie that was kind of a summer movie, it was a May release, but it was kind yeah. of a summer movie, yeah. and it was a blockbuster, and you still liked it. I loved you know? it. 
Loved it, in fact. So, okay. I what else? Better movie this year. I saw Ex Machina, and I was like, that movie's good. That's my and favorite like, movie of the year so far. Oh, really? Yeah. I saw Ex Machina, and I was like, that was a really good movie. And then I saw Mad Max, like, a week later, and I was like, whoa, you're that's like, the best movie. You're like, what's Ex, what's Ex Machina? Ex, Ex I don't even remember seeing it. Yeah. All right. But where are some you of the places he's arrested me. Okay, people go can him, find... Big summer blockbuster movies on the internet. Absolutely. Don't undercut our sponsor like that. <laughs> All right. This episode is sponsored by Movie, a curated online cinema. I that love these guys. They're absolutely. I really do. But who are they? I'll tell you who they are. They're a curated online cinema that brings its members a handpicked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, movies curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. There is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I dot com, slash Battleship to redeem now. So that's a free month of Mubi uh, if you go to Mubi.com slash Battleship. And I want to tell you about Tweaked Audio, which uh, they make professional quality earbuds in a variety of <laughs> stylish styles and colorful colors. I use them every day to to listen to to work, listen to music while I work, to watch movie trailers when I'm supposed to be working. Um, and uh, I don't actually watch trailers, um, but uh, they're fantastic. The the point is that tweaked audio earbuds are so good that i'll even watch movie trailers oh my just to just to uh experience their greatness and you can get them at tweakedaudio.com. but because you know us because you're cool you go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension and you get that for one third off and no shipping charges that's tweakedaudio.com slash pretension let's get into it shall we yeah Indeed. 30 plus minutes almost 35 minutes in wow let's get into it we just we? love to chat yeah but you wanted to talk so we've been planning this episode for months now because you went on a little bit of a kick a bender yeah yeah about speaking, uh, about, <laughs> speaking of tying to tie it in with binge watching things yeah you were watching nothing but, mostly but uh true, true crime, crime docs yeah for a while and you uh, and so you emailed me saying Let's do this episode. Yeah. I got all this going on in my brain. Yeah. So what was the impetus? dark nastiness going on? Well, what, what caused it? Yeah. Yeah. Was it the jinx? Uh, no, way before that. Okay. Um, and it was before serial really. It actually started with, well, you know, I mentioned earlier that I, after I did better call Saul, I went on a breaking bad bender and I was like, wait a second, I can do a bender of things. I don't watch any TV shows. I can watch a whole TV show. Well, maybe I'll now I'll watch all the seven up movies, you know, like the, right. you know, which I hadn't seen those at all. And I watched them all. I binged them all, which they're great. I loved, I fell in love with these movies. Have you guys seen them? I haven't. Uh, I've seen... Not, I haven't seen all of them. Well, I think I haven't seen the last two. I don't recommend... Oh, the final... The most recent one is the best. One of the best, probably. I don't recommend binging those because they're so depressing. Many. Oh, I, I loved them. I fell in love with these characters. Oh, I love them. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I feel like... Maybe... I feel like it would be good to, like... Treat it almost like a TV show and space right. like a week in between each one. Yeah, don't, so that only you can live a little bit of life. A week or two weeks. Don't binge them because the first three or four they recap the same footage over and over and over yeah. again. So anyway, I binged all those, loved them despite that kind of because they're not they're meant to be watched seven years apart. They're not right, meant to right. be watched, you know. Um, and so and also the last two they don't recap as much. They actually yeah. do a lot of it, cool stuff. But anyway, so I watched all those and I was like, well. I'm in love with these characters. I got to see more documentaries because I'm not going to watch a reality show or another TV show. So what's the, what's the next 
series of documentaries that I hadn't seen, and I hadn't seen the Paradise Lost movies. Mm. I didn't really know the story of West Memphis 3, so then I went and I watched the first one. I was like, whoa. That was like a... If you don't know the story, it's like knocks you out. Your, most people know the story now, but yeah. Yeah. it just knocked me out. And, and then I went and watched the next two, and I was just riveted. You know, the, the second one is like, you know, Shakespeare or something with all the, the show that uh, Mark Byers is putting on. But anyway, so I watched all the I watched all the Paradise Lost, and then about the same time, Serial was was new. So I was watching. I watched Paradise Lost, and I'm like, check out Serial. You know, the the podcast. And uh, so then I got into that. And then, it, and then you know, or my girlfriend got me into that, and then I just started kind of digging for more. I'm like, well, what else is there, you know, that I hadn't seen? And I, I the only one I rewatched that I had that I had seen was Thin Blue Line, which you know I had I didn't really remember it. Yeah, it's been a long time. But that's for me. kind of also one of the the top. Yeah, that's the of, first place my mind goes. I, yeah. I really like that movie. Yeah, you know, kind of set the bar for what a true crime doc can do. Yeah. Yeah, not merely artistically, but also legally. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. But what's interesting, like, that's true, but Errol Morris, he did that and Tabloid, but he's not really thought of as a true crime guy. He's he's a documentarian. Right. I mean, yeah. I think it turns into true crime. I mean, I, didn't, I actually haven't seen um, Mr. Death, but that's kind of, he talks about a lot of, like, Human issues. I was going to say he's kind of a person. human interest document. Yeah, yeah. documentary. Mr. Death gets like depressing because it becomes about about him. It becomes about the guy who like it's at first he's like this. Oh, he's this interesting guy who like built electric chairs and stuff. But then it becomes about like entirely about him being a Holocaust denier. Yeah, and it just gets like it yeah. really gets depressing. So when that he's, one doesn't count as much. But, yeah, but, but tabloid I would count <laughs> as a true crime doc, and and there's a lot of stuff on uh, first person which I would count as a true crime doc, like. He interviews that mob lawyer, you know, and so I, I don't know. He's got two. I mean, I think he's he's made a couple that con- contributions to the genre that are like right. But what I wanted to I bring up staircase also, and um, what I wanted to bring up though is that um, if there are if there is a director or directors who are the standard bearers for this kind of thing, it's the guy that Joe Berlinger and Joe Bruce Sanofsky who made we just Paradise died. Lost, yeah. And they made Brothers Keeper. Brothers Keeper, which is amazing. And is Whitey, it, is, Whitey Bulger. I haven't one. seen Whitey. Did you see Whitey? Yeah, I saw Whitey. What did you think? I thought it was really interesting. And I thought I it, had, it. it had so many opportunities to just be like, a, hey, let's look back on this guy's life. But it felt very in the moment. Like, it's like yes, we're looking back on the things that this guy has done. But we're also right in the middle of the case. And the, and the fact now. that, like, one of the people that they're interviewing by the end of the film doesn't make it yeah for maybe some mysterious circumstances yeah. and it's like oh right this is all happening right like the story yeah, isn't a, the story isn't that's over that's a shocker moment i mean yeah. i guess we'll talk about spoilers in this because whatever you know yeah. but that that's a shocker moment that the whitey bulger documentary opens with this guy telling this riveting story about yeah. about how whitey bulger it really sets the stage for like here's who whitey bulger is and yeah and he tells us a story so well you know about how he worked his ass off with his wife to make this liquor store and then he knocks it whitey what knocks on the door one day he's like we're taking the store and he's like what are you talking about he's like, we're taking the fucking store you know yeah. and then and so then he goes you know yeah i can't wait to get on that stand and testify against that piece of shit or whatever he says yeah and then midway through the movie through other, there's other twists and turns so it's not just like a vendetta no. for some reason this guy who's, who can't wait to get on the stand uh, is gone he just yeah. dies and that's like a shocker moment and, in the and you're with and you're with like somebody else as that person gets the phone call yeah so you know their reaction like, so and but that's what also, I like about it is that 
it seems like a movie that's going to just be devoted to sort of demythologizing Whitey Bulger. Right. But then along the way, it also says like, yeah, he's he's a piece of shit. Yeah. But he's not. He didn't act alone. Let's take a look at what how, the role the government played. Yeah. There's there's a lot of blame to go around, and so I like that it it uses it this thing it, as an entry point, and then it just opens up into yeah. much wider rat's nest. It thing. takes a it takes a real turn, and I think the Berlinger and Cernovsky are, are kind of like two of the best because well that's what I was going to say is, in terms of like watching because they and I know they've gotten criticism for um, making a thing that's like it does it's they almost use narrative tricks in their documentaries you know like I, I don't it, I don't have any problem with that yeah me neither it makes it a, a great thing to watch you know but uh, but yeah when you when you suggested this before you sent me the list of you wanted to talk about when you suggested this topic the first thing the you know the first uh, you were saying the first place your mind would go was thin blue line but the first thing I thought was have you seen Brothers Keeper? Because yeah. that movie. Have you seen Brothers Keeper? I have not. Oh man, that, it, it's 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 haunting and beautiful at the same time. I feel like yeah. you'd really like it. But it gets into something that, um, well, I think I think will be a through line when we talk about these movies, um, like Paradise Lost, or like what you were just talking about with with Whitey. And uh, this will definitely come up when we talk about Tales of the, Tales of the Grim Sleeper. But it's yes, it's about. A crime, but really it becomes about a community or a or, yeah. or, or a cross section of life that maybe the the average person seeing a Joe Berlinger Bruce Sanofsky doc doesn't know about these. The, the, it doesn't have any connection to the type of people like the guys in Brothers Keeper. Yeah, these these it's, semi-literate it, guys who live on farms and have never traveled more than you know a few miles from their home in their entire life. Yeah. It's such a it, it, it's such a different slice of life. Uh, he kind of, he kind of, he kind of paints, he, he paints protagonists and antagonists in it. And, and in brothers keeper, the small town is the protagonist, you know, and these small people are kind of, you, you're rooting for them a little and you're like, and the, and the big city is like, we don't agree with what they did. They're weirdos and they're sick and they're this and that. Right. Uh, then he goes in paradise lost. It's the other way around. Yeah. The small right. town is judgmental of, of the West Memphis three. And they're like, they're creeps. They're sickos. We don't want these sick. We put them away. They're sick. They definitely did it, you know? And you know, but the big city people are kind of the ones who are like, wait a second. You guys are just judging them because they're freaky looking, you know? And, uh, doesn't it feel watching paradise lost now? And I've only seen the first one. I haven't yeah. seen two or three yet. Um, two is, two is, is crazy. Um, two is great. Two's got some real, just great scenes in it. But doesn't it seem like the idea that it almost, it, it seems it's such a weird time capsule because the idea that people really thought that because he was listened to heavy metal, that he was legitimately worshiping the devil yeah, and yeah. doing sacrifices in the woods yeah. seems so strange now, but it's such a part of that late eighties, early nineties, middle America fear. It was, yeah, it was so present panic. at the time. Yeah. yeah. It's so, so it works even, you know, um, 20 years after the it, fact, uh, it, it's, it's, it, 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 it adds a new layer. Yeah. Of looking back at something that isn't, I mean, you know, people are still stupid all over, but that particular thing doesn't seem to still resonate with people. We're still not, we're not uh, accusing people of being Satanists. Yeah. That, anymore. that, that kind of, I wonder what started that really. I mean, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I, I mean, it really, honestly, it might've been the, that surge in popularity of like thrash metal and like the imagery uh-huh. that, you know, people not, who aren't, aren't accustomed to that and weren't, or, in, weren't mean, in on the, like the, look at it with, you know, I mean, I'm not sure, you could look at it like that the Christian right was something that Ronald Reagan really embraced 
and that wasn't necessarily part of politics as much before. And so certain aspects of that might have pushed, you know, well, we've got to steer clear of Satanism. These Satanisms. Satanism That's an interesting gonna, point because this is the time of, like, the moral majority and Jerry yeah. Falwell and that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, and you also was, had, you know, if I might at least throw the other side, you sure. also had Al Gore yeah. and Tipper Gore yeah. talking about, like, hey, you got these album lyrics are really, really, you know, we can't expose any children to this. Right. Like, and there was... Like it, there just seemed to be in politics in general, yeah. And which I'm sure, when you consider that the right was in power for 12 years, right, it's like I'm sure they probably had an impact on the left as well, right. But um, but yeah, there just seemed to be this, as I think maybe, like, as as you were talking about before, stuff that was on the fringe, whether it be punk or rap, yeah, or metal, as it became more mainstream, it's like people who literally like, they didn't care they didn't know anything about it and suddenly they're forced to look at this that right. they, and they have no they have no context for right. it they don't and get this, a different thing yeah. they don't get the theatricality of it because if you if you divorce yourself completely from irony and literally just look at Slayer's lyrics, you would be, yeah, it'd be terrifying. Like, yeah. Oh, these people are sure. really, because you don't get those sort of like the, the pro wrestling term would be like kayfabe of it. Like they're, they're sort of all probably also at the same time, like with the satanic panic, Richard Ramirez was killing people in California. What was that? Like 1980, was that like 85 or something like that? Or, uh, or, uh, yeah. I anyway, he, there's no, there's, I get him confused no, with, um, he's the night. Berkowitz, no, but Ber- which was Berkowitz, late seventies. Berkowitz is son of Sam. And he was doing yeah. it in the seventies in New York during blackout. Richard Ramirez. I'm surprised no one made just a classic true doc about that guy. Cause he's such a freak show. He would just like, he killed all these people. He raped all these people and, and you know, horrible guy. And he would just go in the courtroom and be like, hail Satan, you know, and, and, uh-huh. and that was, just, and he would, that was just what he would, you know, he would just like put, he was just like a freak, putting on a freak show, you know, uh-huh. like the worst, the worst nightmare of like, <laughs> like the poster child for what sa- what Satan, Satanism will do to you or whatever. And, you know, if you want to look at other uh, pop culture things, the eighties were, was also like the rise of a very specific kind of slasher film that people would often point at, including critics, and say, this is bad for society. Right. And so just in general, this idea of like a a much darker fringe element becoming mainstream and being specifically marketed to or having an appeal to younger people. Yeah. Like, you know, teenagers being suddenly becoming the, t- the key demographic. And so suddenly it's like, well, you know, that idea is like, well, someone please think of the children, you know, right. Look how impressionable these people are. Look, listen to the music they're listening to. Right. Look at the movies they're watching. Like we need, we need to protect them and look at all the terrible things that are happening as a result. This yeah. guy who's saying hail Satan. And right. so, and then I think also you get people who they, they will embrace these things because it's counterculture and they want to sort of set themselves apart from culture. And so they embrace it and maybe play into other people's expectations a little bit. And suddenly people may not know if where the irony starts and where actual rebellion starts. It's, it's tough to know. Well, the big thing with in paradise loss with, you know, this main subject, Damien Eccles is like, it's clear He's like an outsider, you know, yeah. I mean, he's basically he's white trash and he's like, you know, does the only thing he's, he's an outsider. The only thing he seems to identify with is, you know, 
uh, Metallica or whatever, yeah. you know, or yeah. Slayer or whatever. Did and you? It's on your list. So you also watched West of Memphis? Yeah. Because that one, I think, because it's able to sort of, like, it's all done by that point, it's able to sort of yeah. stand back. It, I think it... Um, because there was so much celebrity support for yeah. the West Memphis three that I think West of by Memphis, the third one there. Yeah. Yeah. And West of Memphis is able to look at sort of uh, look at that as a part of the whole yeah. uh, phenomenon and uh, sort of say why, which is exactly like the type of people, the creative type of people who go on to these yeah. careers being actors or musicians or whatever, uh, all relate to, yeah. to the, to Damien Eccles in particular yeah. and to yeah. these guys What's in general. F- funny about Damien Eccles is like, he he is now more that guy than he ever was, and it, it makes you wonder if there was a, if there was a a little bit of without no, being completely uninformed. It makes you wonder if there was a bit of Arrested Development going on inside of him, where he's like, "Well, I couldn't I couldn't really do this in prison. Be the goth guy now. I could be super goth guy." Yeah, or, well, I imagine there would be. It's probably hard to grow if you spend that much time in prison. Yeah, you probably don't been, age like he I mean, got. He got it like thirty eight or forty or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, you, like you imagine. Oh. Like you were talking about uh, there being like celebrity and artistic support because they rec- they see probably themselves are like, oh, yeah, I was the outsider in like the small town. But thankfully, I was allowed to whether it be my parents being vaguely supportive or just organically, I was able to grow up, recognize what I'm good at and where my passion is and then go seek that out. These kids because of this horrible thing that happened in their town, they were never allowed this thing. And so they were in a state of quite literally arrested development and they had to just stop exactly where they were. For some reason I find it, uh, I don't know why this like really touches me, but the fact that it's not like, okay, it's, you know, it's, uh, uh, Eddie Vedder and Peter Jackson and like those kind of yeah, like yeah. rock or horror guys. Yeah, but yeah. the fact that like Johnny the Dixie Depp chicks, yeah. yeah, like for some reason that really like warms my heart that even like the Dixie chicks were yeah. uh, on, on these guys side, like anyone, uh, yeah. the, they all felt this sort of kinship from watching the, the first one, you know? And yeah, the second one, the thing, the second one is almost, you could argue the second one's kind of like the, a little trashy, you know, because it, basically exploits Mark Byers for being, it does to him what the town did to those kids, right? It says he's a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. He's a weird, this is what I've heard. I've seen. And, but, but in a way everyone has declined to participate, but him and he's just putting himself in the spotlight the whole time. And so the whole time you're going, this guy did it. This guy did it. This guy did it. And then in the end you're like, well, I guess he didn't do it. You know, and then <laughs> yeah. and then the third one, he kind of, and he's like going, and he's putting on a show. He goes, he he goes back to the scene of the crime. He sets a fire. And he goes, oh, stomp on your grave, stomp on your grave. You know, and then his wife also from the first one died mysteriously. The the mother of the the child that he was a stepfather of, and so he's like, oh, he's putting on a show and crying for the camera. I know I wasn't always the best husband, but I love you and my boy. You know, it's like it's it's just so insane to watch this guy. And there's a great scene because there's these like very liberally, you know, MTV generation 90s group of people who are kind of the first group who are like, we support the West Memphis three. We saw the documentary. We think they're innocent. And they they go and they kind of try to get in buyers face, you know, and they're like. 
you know, well, what do you think? You know, we, we're, they're, they're putting them on the spot and, and one of, there's this like piece of evidence that might be about teeth marks, you know, and, and they, the way that Berlinger sets it up so well is that he, he told this, he had buyers tell this story about how he lost all his teeth in a bar brawl. And then, then they go and they later on in the film introduce this thing about, well, maybe a lot of the bite marks on the children, or maybe a lot of the things on the children were bite marks. And if we could get a sampling of buyer's teeth, so they're putting it in his face and it's just that in itself is just great storytelling because you've mm-hmm. already like I'm like, but you already think buyers did it. And then when they say, uh, wait a second, the teeth and buyers lost his teeth. So convenient. But anyway, they <laughs> they put they put it in his face and they say, well, why don't you you know show us your teeth or whatever? And he takes out these dentures and this slobber comes out. <laughs> and it's so menacing. He's like, I don't have them. They're already gone. It's. It's great. And then <laughs> well, the third one, he's also, he's super subdued. And he's like, I always believed they were innocent. Which he doesn't. He spent the whole right. two, first two movies being like, they killed my boys. And it's so interesting when you think, because I've only seen the first one. Then I saw that movie Devil's Knot, which is not very good. I didn't bother. And it feels. Adam McGoyan. Yeah. And, it, and they're. After watching the, the real movies, you're kind of like, I don't want to see this slick version. I just saw the real yeah, it feels thing. really unnecessary. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but what I think is interesting is anytime. And because you have three movies there, and I say this having not seen the second and third, but like you've got three movies there. And after a while, the fact that they are movies becomes part of the story. Yeah. You know, you have people confronting this guy. Kind of like the Up series, where the, yeah. by the end of the Up series, it's all about, you know, how how's this documentary affected your life. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Like, you have people confronting this guy, not because they read some article, but because they saw the first movie, yeah. the, the movie we saw. Yeah. You know, and it's so, it's so fascinating. It's, and so, I wanted to bring this up in regards to true crime documentaries and what what that means because my first thought because when you when you mentioned um the second film you said that it was it seemed pretty trashy yeah when i think of the concept of a true crime documentary i tend to think of something that is if not trashy at the very least sensationalistic. Yeah. Uh, but then I, but then I think like, okay, well hang on a minute is capturing the Freedmen's a true crime documentary. Cause yeah. that seems more like, yes, a crime was committed, but it's much more about people and about this family. I would, but I guess, true crime but I guess it is true crime. And, and if anything, after watching the jinx, which I did love watching, I kind of feel like Andrew Jarecki is a bit of a, a schlocky shit show guy. Like I think he's kind of like, I think I kind of agree after that because I, I loved the jinx. I loved it too, but man, I think he's a greaseball. Like I think, <laughs> and and the, and even the way that he does little things in capturing the Freedmans, which I don't remember it super well, but I remember the ending where they've got the one brother, and he seems to be the voice of reason, and he's denying he thinks anything happened. And then the very end, they do this strange reveal where they pull out, and he's sitting by his gay husband or lover or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's like a reveal in a weird kind of trashy way where it's like, what are they trying to say? He's gay because he was molested or we were, by the way, he's gay and we're only pin, we're putting a magnifying glass on this. Now we, we didn't earlier. It just is a strange kind of just sleazy. I liked capturing the freedoms when I saw it. I haven't seen it since the theater, but, but I think directly is a bit of a, so what do you think of to get into the jinx? What do you think of him holding on to uh potential evidence 
I don't know the story about what he did. I think didn't he claim that he only discovered it, you know, or he did turn it in as soon as he found it? Or I think as a piece of TV and also something that captured everyone's attention for the month it was on it was great. I loved it. Yeah. You know, but I drove drove past the house on oh. on Benedict Canyon. Uh, you on got my way. real into it. On my, no, I you drove on, on accident or on my way. Whenever I come to tyler's from work right i drive on ben- i take benedict canyon so I, i've driven past that house yeah. a billion times By but way, i knew go- we were doing this episode today so when i drove there today i made i paid special attention to before we move into jarecki as a as a true crime doc guy i just want to say that i think west of memphis is not as good it's not as fun to watch as the first three paradise like if you're going to choose between if you've not seen them all you know if it's like well i want to know about the west of memphis three do i watch just west of memphis or to watch them all i would say if you've got the time and you, and you like watching them do all the paradise losts and then right. if you really want to know more like west of memphis touches more on who they think did it you know which part three touches on a bit but west of memphis really gets into where you're like well, this guy definitely did it or whatever and then if you're perversely curious go ahead and watch devil's knot and <laughs> right. and just which see I didn't like see it's it's Adam McGoyan, so there's some interesting visual flares, and there's some good performances as well. But it's just so interesting to see how, and it's not necessarily like it's a big Hollywood film or anything, but it's just so interesting to see, like, okay, so I guess this is this is the not raw version of it. Like right. this is this is how Hollywood would view this it, it, story. It really, I, when I see that, I feel like my intelligence is insulted. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I don't want to see. The, the the beautiful ver- like they've cast all beautiful people. Well, and uh, what's his name? Kevin Durand. Who? Which one's he? <laughs> uh, oh, he's. I, uh, I don't remember the name of the of the person. But, but he, he was he's he was the guy a, who he's in um, Three Ten to Yuma. I think he gets stabbed in the neck. Oh yeah, yeah. And he was in Lost, and he's, he's been in a bunch Lost, of stuff. But, uh-huh. but I don't remember the name of the guy that uh, he plays. But he's. Uh, like a, a neighbor and he's got like a kind of a mullet and all that sort right. of thing. And he's a beautiful a, a, mullet, a beautiful exactly. bad wig yeah. mullet. Yeah. And uh, his performances, the performances are actually all very good. Right. Uh, Reese Witherspoon, especially. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just so interesting because it's such a, it's such a long story. Yeah. That spans decades, 20, at this 20 point. years or something. Like that. Uh, and just to see Hollywood be like, okay, uh, I think we, we've got the essence of it and here's what it is. And yeah. it's, and it's like, it feels so half-assed. Yeah. So surface. Just even like, I don't know, sometimes when people do a true movie, I mean, maybe the performance is good and this is a dumb nitpicky thing I wouldn't agree with, but watching the trailer after watching, uh, watching the movies <coughs> for Devil's Knot, and you see the guy who plays Terry Hobbs, who's, you know, one of the suspects, mm-hmm. you're like, this guy, this guy's some like skinny puke heartthrob guy. Terry Hobbs is just like, you know, mustachioed just dude man hey i'm a dude oh, you know what i'm saying like he <laughs> i do remember when he says that yeah <laughs> hey i'm a dude man <laughs> hey i'm a dude you know well those depositions there's some deposition footage in part three anyway i just wanted to say if you're uh, of those documentaries i prefer berlinger sanofsky's paradise lost over amy berg's west of memphis but uh to transition back into directly into well into jinx. the jinx in particular the difference between both paradise lost and west memphis and the jinx is that the the premise of the west memphis three documentaries is that they are innocent yeah whereas the jinx and serial 
and the staircase, which I think of the staircase came out now as opposed to a few years ago when uh-huh. it did, Probably it would be, it would be a huge thing because yeah. people were really in the mood for this stuff Yeah, where it's the question is, did this person who's the subject of the documentary do it or not? That's yeah. the push and bowl. Uh, and I mean with, um, you saw the staircase. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw the, 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 the follow up as yeah. well, um, which I also think is great. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the last chance staircase to last year. Right. Uh, I mean, with the with the jinx by the end, you do. It's like okay, I'm pretty sure he he did it. You know, yeah. he all but. But isn't it interesting? But the staircase, you still don't know. Like, yeah, I feel like I know a lot of people who say they think the guy in the staircase did do it, and I watch it, and the filmmaking is telling you everything. Like he didn't do it. Can you believe this small town is judging him? Can you believe they're judging him because he? Well, like the way that the prosecution, a lot of it goes back to a lot of them seem to go back to preconceived you know american judgments where they like the in the staircase he did he had like homosexual encounters or whatever with he would he would have affairs that his wife maybe supposedly knew about right you know and he'd look online for like men to have sex with or fool around with or whatever so the prosecution will be like you know and he was having homosexual sex I mean, that's disgusting, you know, the way that that's this lawyer. She does that, you know, and she's she's like a Nancy Grace or something, you know. Yeah, they they did because I think I'm not comfortable saying that I think the guy's guilty in the staircase, but I feel like I I, I don't don't, don't feel like I think he's not guilty, but I think he's not. I feel like. I, I feel like there's a but good chance that he is, but I wouldn't, if I were on a jury, I wouldn't convict him because right. that's not enough. But the biggest thing that prosecutor, like they just fucked up left and right. Like with the, uh, fudging the like, uh, blood splatter yeah, yeah. test. It's like, you're not doing yourself any favor here yeah. by being so cavalier and so clearly trying to fudge the evidence in your yeah. favor when there, you can already make kind of a compelling case, I think. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the staircase is staircase so is great. A must watch. If uh, you're, if you're on, if you're in the true crime market, um, let me ask you this, uh, having not seen any of the movies that you guys just talked about, but, I am noticing a theme now and having seen like thin blue line and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think one of the things that I like about cap- capturing the Freedmans is the way that it embraces ambiguity. Yeah. Whereas a lot of, you know, a, a theme in a lot of the movies that, uh, that we've been talking about so far is that the filmmaker seems to have a definite opinion uh, about the way this case was carried out or right. whatever. And they're going to delve into it and they're going to delve into it with a very, very powerful storytelling tool, which is movies. Like it's amazing, you know, and because it's a documentary now, the three of us are, you know, very savvy, cynical moviegoers. And we know that you can, <laughs> you can really manipulate anything yeah. and call it a documentary and it couldn't be further from the truth. But, uh, but when it says documentary, I think even I am just like, well, it can't be that manipulated, right? Uh, and so I see the footage right here. Yeah, that, that's uh, them the saying guys, that thing. The guys saying the thing, and so uh, and it's like what? Like what do you guys think about the idea that a filmmaker has an idea of what happened, and now they're going to use this very again this very powerful and and if I'm at worst manipulative tool to convince people of something that will have an impact yeah. in real life. Well, I think yeah. to talk about the jinx in particular, um, I, I don't know that I actually don't think that Andrew, Andrew Drecke is making the movie with any one 
opinion of guilt or innocence in mind i think and this is where it comes in that maybe he's a bit of a slime ball whatever you said right. he's just trying to make the best television that he can which might mm. be a little uh but which he that's does a, i that mean could, like that could be the slimy yes. yeah because uh, Ro- robert durst maybe a three-time murderer um certainly a creep also one of the best characters on television this yeah, year also a thing and, about robert durst is that is also interesting about some of these true crime things is like you kind of I kind of liked him. You yeah, know, he's yeah. Still, same you know, with the staircase kinda, guy. He's like, yeah, he's, he's you like funny. him too. He's, yeah, he's funny. He's got a. He's like, you know, I could see why they would think it. I mean, yeah. I get it. I understand. Yeah. Or whatever, I, you know. Yeah, no, I didn't tell the, the whole story. truth. No one tells yeah, the no whole tells truth. The, come on. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, that the first episode and the, of the, Jinx, they, the, stair, the staircase guy, he's 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 sort of like the you know you know I, I had I had yeah I would do it for um, 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 six. Or whatever. Yeah, he's he he just like so guileless about the whole. He's yeah. Like, oh, if I go to jail, I, I'm going to go to jail, and um, I'll have to face it. You know, I've been in tough times before. I'll be in tough times again. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Um, but the the first episode of the Jinx, which uh, is just clearly made to be great television, is indeed great television because I don't know you didn't watch it, right? Mm-hmm. It so, it's really kicks in in like episode four, I think. But see, the first Maybe. episode did something so brilliant where, where it spends most of the entire hour just detailing the one murder, the Galveston, Texas murder, in in great detail, uh-huh. and so you With find body out, parts. Yeah, so, so all this stuff and the story about the guy getting caught, and then it holds off until the last maybe ten minutes to reveal. Oh, this guy never was convicted. He's alive and free. And oh, he's going to be the focus of this documentary. It's, I don't know if it's, this is, I guess it gets to the question that you were talking about. I don't know how moral it is to twist the facts around to make good television, but the end result is a fantastic episode of television that went on to be a bunch of great episodes of television. Yeah. And, and excuse me. And it's, it's something that I just wonder, for myself, because these do for you know, like uh, I hate Michael Moore. People know that, uh, and not merely for political reasons. Like I think a lot of what documentaries is a trash house. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like for like I, I talked about the idea of people look at this thing and be like, well, I mean, he said it. Like he's a brilliant editor to yeah. the extent that like he in Bowling for Columbine he puts two different Charlton Heston speeches together. He's wearing different ties, right? But he puts them together and cuts it together in just such a way that even I, who's naturally spect- uh, skeptical of uh, Michael Moore, even I didn't notice, yeah, that oh, different ties, different speeches, and if you actually, if he actually said this in a speech, it's pretty horrible, yeah. But he actually didn't, and in fact, if you look at the specifics of one of these speeches, it could not be further from what. Michael Moore is saying it is and it's just like and of course those movies are still it sounds weird they're still good movies they're still emotionally effective yeah you know I mean you can't watch his movies and not feel like yeah you know what this is this is bullshit this is very frustrating but it's like and I know maybe this uh, maybe this is uh, idealistic on my part but part of me is like when it's a documentary and these are real people this you will have this will have an impact like someone like Robert Durst, like was brought up on charges as a function of the jinx, right? Uh, well, as a function of, yeah, with what, 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 unless it was a coincidence, he got, yeah, but he got arrested right. the day before or day after the finale earlier yeah. that day. Like I think the day it aired before it had aired. Yeah. Because I think the, mostly because the cops knew what was going to air. It's almost and were like, like they were we like, don't want him to, if he sees this, 
he's gonna f- he's gonna oh, leave the you, country. Like you think they had their eye on him? Yeah, so I think they knew like okay, if he know if he knows they have this recording, he's gonna try and get out of the country. So, so we better so know he didn't, him now. You think he didn't know? No, I don't think he knew at all until it. You aired. think he was watching? Probably uh, he watched he that Ryan Gosling movie about himself. Yeah, I mean, he seems so, to be pretty which I didn't see. Did you see that? No, I never saw no. it. What's it called? All good things. All good things. I think last time I came up on this podcast, I, I called it No Good Deed, which is an Idris Elba movie from like oh, two yeah. years I ago. Wa- I wanted to see <laughs> No Good Deed actually. Uh, I never saw that one. I but um, but I mean, you see what I mean? I'm not like I'm not trying to be like uh, an asshole, but just this idea of like, for example, I guess what I'm saying. I, is, I agree with is, you. Like at this point you're you're very directly bringing again this is a true like true crime that's what we're talking about this is a true thing and it's a crime but you're not you're bringing it into the court of public opinion where nobody is able to make a counter argument and now everybody you get people in in the second um paradise Paradise Lost. lost movie they see the first one and they've got it. Yeah. They've right, got it worked right. out and they'll come in and they will deal with this guy directly yeah. based on a two hour movie they saw. Yeah. And it just seems, and again, like I still enjoy these movies and I still think they're good. But after a while I start to wonder if like, if it's like, Oh, these are people's lives you're playing with yeah. and you're condensing real life into two hours. And also it has to be an entertaining two hours. Yeah. Well, um, this would be a good segue. Well, about, the, about the about the Paradise Lost thing, what they address at the very beginning of part two is at the end of part one that it, the last shot is Damien Eccles smiling into the camera, mm-hmm. you know, and so I guess that caused a lot of people to be like, he's a sociopath, he's happy, he did it, he's happy, he's laughing about it, and then he addresses that the very first scene. He goes, in the movie when I smiled at the camera, I wasn't smiling because I thought it was funny. I was smiling at my mom and sister to let them know, Hey, I'm going to be okay. Don't worry. Don't stress out. But they just, you know, it was interpreted that he's, Oh, he's a freak. He's happy. He's happy. These people are dead or whatever, you know? Yeah. And that's a whole, even that in itself, it's weird how the movie gets meta about itself and that the movies become, yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say? Well, the, yeah, the, the segue, um, in terms of manipulation and trashiness, trashiness, I want to talk about a, a director who is, can be really trashy, but seems to do his best work in the true crime crime genre, which is Nick Broomfield. Oh yeah, I was going to say that because he made. I don't, I don't know if you've seen Big and Tupac, which is okay. I or think that one sucks. Kurt and Courtney, which is pure garbage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but fun. <laughs> Kurt and Courtney is fun. I, I think they're but both it is, kind of fun, it is total crap. And yeah. I noticed there's a new um, Courtney Love killed Kurt Cobain documentary coming out called Soaked in Bleach. Oh, is that what that's about? I saw a poster uh, on Yeah, yeah, or and it, it very online. oddly timed with Montage of Heck. Yeah. Which I didn't watch yet, but... Um, Neither did I. Um, but yeah, his... Uh, I mean, I think this Tales from the Grim Sleeper is incredibly powerful, and everyone should see it. And the two Eileen Wuornos documentaries are... Yeah. Maybe, I think... We were talking off mic. I think, overall, I think the Eileen Wuornos ones are better films. Uh-huh. But I think the Tales of the Grim Sleeper one is more vital and maybe probably socially sh- important should be perhaps. seen. Because it is... I talked about it when we did our movie journal. It's yes, it's about these murders and this guy who was eventually like, caught and convicted. But really, it's about a neighborhood and all and and all the neighborhoods like it in America. These incredibly uh, poor, uh, entirely black neighborhoods that are just forgotten, just completely ignored, yeah. or, uh, or willfully ignored to the point where this guy was allowed to kill people for twenty five years, yeah. and the cops like the intentionally cops were at did his nothing. House at one point, and they, well, they were down the street, and they go, they go, oh, it's the wrong house, and the the, the victim just like took them to what she thought was the house, but she got it's it like wrong. Two, day, it two, two doors two, down, yeah, two doors down, and they're like, 
And then they don't even pursue it. They go, oh, it's not the house. And then they they don't and that's like 20 years earlier they don't do anything right and the, well and the one i mean this is in i think it's in the trailer because it's one of the most powerful moments but that that woman who's the activist who leads the oh man she's uh, and the cop she's amazing and the cop tells her a cop told her he's just killing hookers that was his yeah that was the cop's yeah words to her. i mean i guess in this documentary according those, to her but for those uh listening uh yeah yes, I guess he said, he said it was about, it's about this this serial killer and um uh, you know, and and he was killing all these people, and mostly hookers. Not all of them hookers. Not and not all black. Couple, I think a white one or two white ladies. And uh, um, but there's this one woman that he comes on who becomes basically like, oh yeah, I'll help you. She starts running the show. You know, oh, he yeah, makes yeah, a yeah. joke. She's a I forget her name, but it's like you know, um, sh- she's now running my production. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and she refers to yeah, yeah. as her friends from England. Yeah, yeah. I love when she yells at the one woman on the street who's not wearing any any, <laughs> any drawers. She's really funny. She's too. like, she, oh, she, she thinks I'm the police. If I was the police, I would have been arrested her and made her put some clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> this woman is really funny and, and super cares. You really like love this woman. Um, and she's smart, you know, she know, and she's also, she's like, I'm so, I'm a crackhead. I'm sober. I'm sober. You know, like. Um, she was, and she's like, I got my life back together. Like she talks about, she used to be a crackhead and she talks about how she was a hooker and, um, she just knows the, the industry through and through. And, um, she's super committed to her sobriety and, and having a job and a house and all that stuff. And, um, uh, what else was I going to say about, Oh, my other thing about Broomfield is that he's such a trash head. Um, is that he's like, He'll he'll turn something into a plot point. He'll turn the most flimsy thing into a plot point. You know, like in Tupac and Biggie, I think there's a part where it was like, we tried to get an interview. Unfortunately, the camera didn't work. As if that's someone else's fault, you know, as if that's like, you see what they're doing to us. They're trying to silence our story. The camera stopped working. The thing I Courtney love found a way to break our camera. <laughs> the thing got, I love about got him, one of those, uh, those EMPs and just like, Oh no. Yeah. Uh, the thing I love about him that I, again, I talked about on the show before, but this guy has been making movies in America for decades, yeah. but he still really plays up the, I'm a British, like yeah. I'm a fish out of water yeah. guy. When he's looking for the one prostitute yeah. and he's like, we're looking for the woman in flat three, flat three. Flat three. <laughs> like he's in yeah. South central, like <laughs> going out flat three. Yeah. I, that's why Broomfield. It's like, sometimes you go, I hate him. And sometimes you're like, ah, I love this guy. <laughs> yeah. He's such a rotten tabloid, you know? And, well, I, and I, I love the, the uh, Heidi a, Feist ones are really good. The Heidi Feist ones really good too. Oh, I haven't the seen madam uh, like i desperately needed someone who could i could interview i desperately need someone who could tell me what the hours of her store were or whatever you know <laughs> uh and i love that like michael moore has his sort of outfit nick yeah. broomfield is his own sound guy i think yeah. and i think the idea That's is a very it's you can have a nick broomfield action figure they should have documentarian <laughs> yeah. action he's always got, even when he's driving he's got these huge cans on yeah. and this big fluffy boom mic. it lets you know like I'm doing it myself. I'm against all odds. Everyone's against me, including the subject of my film. Yeah. You know, it, it probably does make, I mean, cause it's, he's a crew of two. He's got a camera guy and yeah. then him doing all the interviewing and sound. It probably does help the movie that he's more maneuverable. Yeah, well, and stuff, it makes but it, it seem, but it becomes iconic. Gritty, you know, yeah. it makes, especially it, when he's driving around with the headphones. The it it also makes it up. almost like this detective story where he's, he's the guy who's yeah. sleuthing, you know, he's the, 
whatever the 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 Bogart character. He's the guy who's like, I found a lead. I have to interview them, you know. And then, or like, I think when in Tupac and Biggie, when he finally interviews Suge Knight, it's just like the camera breaks, or it's just the most <laughs> anticlimactic. And he doesn't talk about anything. He's like, oh, prison life's hard, or something like that. He interviews their moms, or <coughs> I just remember seeing that thing. Like, I feel like I didn't watch anything. I feel like. He just took the facts and cobbled them together, and it was not. It's like, yeah, if you literally didn't know anything about the East-West hip-hop feud and the murders of Biggie and Tupac, that might be a helpful source. Like, okay, yeah. you'll learn some things. But if you but know a little, no, I, I remember no watching it thinking, like, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, Courtney's a piece of shit, but it's fun because it's fun when, like, it's fun if you just buy into, like, well, okay, let's just go along with what he's saying, you know? Let's assume he's got a point. And the way that he's interviews people like El Duce yeah. from The Mentors, you know, this, uh, this like, racist punk band or whatever. It's I don't know if they're ironically racist or what, but, but and then... And then he dies unexpectedly uh-huh. or he commits. He, he's waiting for something from this big, bald, racist guy with two teeth named El Duce. And he I had to get in touch with El Duce. And then <laughs> uh, he's waiting to hear back about something. And then he knocks on the door and is like, oh, El Duce's dead. <laughs> you know, and then like apparently he he hire Hitler to train. <laughs> he stood in front of a train doing a Nazi salute and the train ran him over. <laughs> that's how he committed suicide or something like that. I think that I could be wrong, but it's something like you're that. making this movie sound better than I remember it. It's stupid. The El Duce parts are the highlight in yeah, my definitely. memory, but I don't, but let's talk with the Eileen Ornos ones, which I haven't seen in 10 years. I haven't seen it in a long time either. I just um, remember the the dynamic between them is, is pretty, is pretty intense. And then well, she opens up and then the very end, the very end of one of them, I can't remember which one, right before she gets executed, he's trying to get her to, like, uh, have some remorse. He's trying to say, what are you, and, oh, this is another one that's about the system, and the system kind of, it's kind of goes in line with, you know, um, uh, some of the Berlinger stuff, and it goes in line with, with uh, he he's trying to expose that the system is, like, you know, corrupt, and they, they knew that she was killing so it's the same thing, really, as a grim sleeper. Like, they mm-hmm. knew that she was killing, and then they let her keep doing it for some reason. I can't remember. But he's asking her to confess or just show some remorse, and she's like, it's, I, it's past me now. I can't do it, Nick. I can't. You remember this? Yeah, but to me, what I take away from it, it being so long ago is that, uh, especially in terms of someone like the system, um, the idea that as the two movies go on, she's clearly – mentally ill completely mentally Ill. like it's this is a true paranoid schizophrenic yeah. and the fact that she's being executed yeah she's being executed and being treated like yeah. she's completely in uh in control of her faculties is kind of didn't you see into kind the of abyss tra- the Werner Herzog i one? never did i didn't see that one either yet i started to watch it and then i just didn't but i hear that's a very intense one so i was gonna say it looks pretty intense yeah um that Probably reminds me fairly I'd, humorless that one i did see a movie that i'd forgotten about until you just mentioned that called um i think it's called after innocence i haven't seen that and one. it's about it's uh, it interviews people who were in prison and then were freed on appeal through DNA testing. Right. So that all the subjects are different people who have been, who were wrongfully arrested for murders and are now free. And it's about them trying to, uh, get their lives back together, which even though they're free, the fact that they were in prison and that they've been to prison, like it's, uh, it's just horribly tragic. It's like, Oh, we, you think, Oh, the system one, we, 
got these people off, but like their lives are still ruined by the right. Like, it's a really depressing. I mean, movie even though. the even if you go back to Paradise Lost. Paradise. What well, we keep going back to is the, the other one who's not Damien Nichols and who's not you know the mentally challenged, not the one, like retarded guy. Right. The 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 other one. He's trying to like really get his life together, but he's he's still technically guilty. You know, right. even though right. they've let him off right. for this thing called Alfred plea, which they can be free, but they they still are saying they're right. guilty or whatever. An Alfred guilty play or something. Al, so, Al Ford, right? I, yeah, Al, Al Ford. Alfred. Yeah. yeah. Not, like Alf, Alf, not Alfred. Like not Alf not, meets President Ford. Right. <laughs> not uh, Batman's butler. Yeah. <laughs> Al Ford. <laughs> Al Ford. Um, another thing that I thought of that, that you were going to say when you were talking about Michael Moore and uh, and his, you know, um, manipulation and, and – uh, um, saying, here's what I think of this, and here's the story I'm going to say. I'm showing. I'm just trying to get my. It's basically propaganda. But but Michael Apted talks about in a documentary about or in an interview about how he, some of the mistakes he made in the Up series, which aren't true crime, but uh, how he thinks you know, like early on, he tried to predict what he thought would happen to certain people, and he felt very guilty years later because he was wrong and a lot of them proved him wrong. You know, like he would say, this one's going to be a loser or this one's going to be alone or, you know, and then they would go on and have a different, their life would go in a different direction. He would talk about how I made a mistake trying to judge them, judging the subjects. Basically what he was saying. But at the very least, like he has the benefit of hindsight, like the fact that he's going to, that the movie's not over yeah, and he can look back and try to correct that in the next movie. Yeah. You know? So he at least has that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's, it's tough. He says he learned his lesson because he knew some of the, some of the subjects he couldn't get to come back, you know, and yeah. it's because he maybe made him look bad or smeared him or whatever. So yeah. he has to very, yeah, that's a whole other topic. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough because, you know, you're, when you're making something about a crime, you're going to, you have to come down on one side or another. Yeah. It's this person did this or they didn't do this or they were set up or the system failed them. Like, do you feel that way though? Even in those documentaries where their whole thing is, we're not saying anything. We let you decide. But a lot of times like we're saying something. I'm trying to think. I haven't seen, <laughs> we know, you know, what we, you know what we think. I haven't seen thin blue line in a while, but I tabloid? do. Did you see that one? I, I did not see that. That's the other more, more recent Errol Morris. That's kind of the other, I would say those are kind of his most true crimey is tabloid and thin blue line. Um, did you see tabloid? Uh, yeah, I think it's sort of mid-rate Errol Morris. It's fun, but I don't know that it's, it's fun. That it's not great. I think there's a slog in the middle. You know, the the girl's kooky. Apparently, she was interviewed as a first-person subject, and then he just turned into a feature. And uh, you know, she she she's you know she's nuts. Obviously, yeah. Did you see Crazy Love? No, that's yes, on this. I did. What do you think of that one? Uh, it's crazy. A little. It felt a little incomplete. Like it felt like it could have gone a little deep, a little deeper. It seemed like it was so fascinated with the with the mere facts of what happened uh-huh. that it didn't. That it it, it it literally was like a film of like, can you believe this shit? Right. Basically that. Like yeah. But never. I felt like it never really delved deep into why and maybe because the subjects weren't going to reveal much well, but okay. I feel like these were people who were perfectly willing to talk and I felt like the f- filmmaker just didn't feel like going deep at all I think the the takeaway I took from that one is 
I'm going to spoil it for you of what okay. it's about. The, the takeaway of, of it is what happens is this guy is married and he starts having an affair with this woman who's kind of a cute girl around town and, and everyone likes her, but he's obsessed with her and he starts, oh, come out with me, baby, come out with me, baby. And he, he's real rich. He's a lawyer. He's a success, successful lawyer. And um, she starts going out with him and she says, well, if you really want me to go out with you, you'll leave your wife. And he won't leave his wife, you know, and then. And then so she distances herself from him and he becomes obsessed with her. Basically, the main plot points, the big reveal, big shocker is that he hires a guy to throw acid in her face. He knocks on her door, throws acid in her face and blinds her. Yeah. And he goes to jail for years. And so while he's in jail, she's miserable because she's blind and her life is like, I can only be blind. And he starts like contacting trying to write her uh, write her letters i'm not sure exactly but he basically stays obsessed with her. i always was in love with you i love you baby i never stopped loving you and and eventually her by the end you know the the, the other big shocker is like she takes him back she goes out with him and it's kind of like i think i think it's more point, about like i, I they actually wind up married and yeah they're married together. by the end yeah but the thing to me that i took away about that is like Probably the time period, you know, for what like a woman's options back yeah. then is like, well, my only thing is I'm kind of a cute girl, you know, and my only thing is like, uh, you know, maybe I was going to be a secretary or whatever. And because they're old, you know, and this was like the 50s or 40s even. But, you know, and, and so she's kind of like all this, you know, this guy's got lots of money. And he's telling me he loves me and he won't stop. He's relentless. No, I'm blind. I don't have a job. I don't have anything else. All I've got is this rich guy who's obsessed with me. And he's saying, once I get out of jail, baby, it's all you, you know. And I, you almost think like, well, if you look at the psychology of it, you know, she's like, I don't have any skills or anything beyond maybe a personality. So I guess I'll take this guy. And that, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, and that's, I think something that we the viewer can bring to it and, and i'm fine with us doing that but yeah at the same time i felt like it's one thing when a movie sort of leaves it up to us or maybe maybe even kind of pushes us in one direction without pushing us too far but i feel like it's a it's a film that is it's not there's a difference between being neutral and then and just not having a point of view right and i feel like it's a film that is, I, so, I is so busy with like it's so preoccupied with just how fucking crazy this whole thing is. Right. Isn't really that it forgets to have any real point of view. Yeah. And it's an interesting, and I remember just being so frustrated because like, I would have liked to delve further into it, even if it meant like interviewing some like, uh, women's advocates or something like yeah. that. And being like, why would this happen? Right. You know, but maybe he thought that would be too judgmental of her actions, right. but he has to know that the audience is going to be like, why is she doing this? Right. You know, so at least address it. You know, we're going to be asking. I get, I get what you mean. Yeah. I, I mean, I maybe, maybe you can look at it both ways where it's like the ridiculous, the craziness of it speaks for itself. It's crazy, yeah. you know, or you could say like, what's wrong with these people? I guess the thing that gets me about almost any documentary is like, if I were to read a, like a page and a half article about this story, would I get the exact same out of it as right. I did watching a two hour movie? And with that one, yes, it's basically like, here's what happened as opposed yeah. to anything more right. deep. Yeah. About it. Well, I want to, uh, end, uh, in, in, in a minute here, Josh, by asking you to recommend some of the ones you saw on your, on your binge, but I want to real quick recommend right, right. one that I don't think either one of you has seen a Brazilian documentary called bus 174. I haven't seen it yet. Um, that is, um, about, uh, a guy, 
uh, you know, it's a documentary true. So I was going to say true story. These are all true stories. Yeah. Uh, but this uh, guy held a bus in hostage for hours uh, all day in Rio de Janeiro. Um, and the movie is um, in many ways about the favelas, the slums that this guy came from. And so like some of the things we talked about, it's a portrait of that sort of, uh, you know, uh, lower economic fringe life, but it's really about how, incredibly completely the police fucked this up. Um, cause the only, you know, he held this bus hostage with all these people on it all day. That's another the, good doc documentary. True crime document subject is like how the authorities fucked this yeah, up. Yeah. The, oh, only only there's, one, there's something bigger at play. Here. Um, only one of the hostages died and it's because she was shot by a cop, not by the guy who held them, held them hostage. All right. day. That's like, I mean, I guess that's kind of the crux that it gets to. I guess, I guess I just sort of spoiled part of it. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a true story. You could look it up. Right. Uh, it's a, it's a fascinating movie and uh, I, I want to recommend that one. I didn't see Dear Zachary. You, you saw that. Yeah. One. Tyler saw that yeah, one too. too. Which, Pretty harrowing. I hear. Uh, I'm yeah. kind of scared to watch it for what I've already been told about it. It almost doesn't. I mean, given like think about how we've been talking about these movies and more specifically how we've been talking about a number of the ma the makers of these movies, like trashy, greasy, sleazy, nothing about like dear Zachary. Like, I guess like a crime was committed. Yeah. So it is a true crime documentary, right. but it feels Multiple like it's so much. Committed yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it feels like it's so much more than that. It feels much, even more so than like capturing the Freedmen's just like, this is a, a human story. Right. Yeah. That involved crimes, you right? Know? Yeah, and I—I I mean, I saw it. I saw it in the theater. I knew almost nothing about it, which is the way to see it. Um, yeah. I didn't know, you know, what the reveal would be, or that there. I wasn't waiting for a reveal at the end of the movie. Right. It is one of the most. Uh, I don't even know what to say. It's the most staggering. Like I just walked out. I just felt like I'd been hit by a truck when I walked out of that movie. Yeah. But but not merely hit by a truck because of like depression because it'd be easy to just sit to look at this story and only see the tragedy. And of course there's plenty of it, right? That, yeah. it, that's why it's a movie. That's why it's a story is because there's a tragic element, but also when you just see the way that people, the, the people involved behaved, um, and just trying so hard to do the yeah. right thing in the face of, evil and insanity and that kind of thing and cruelty. Um, I feel like, yes, of course it's a horrible thing, but I think because, because it's, it's, it's not a film that just says, Oh, isn't this all I, I have, I have a very specific memory of, of <laughs> my grandma telling me this story that she's watched on the news and it was just, just some terrible story. I don't remember. And then she's just says, it and then just goes, isn't that awful? <laughs> and I, I remember her saying that and it's, and this isn't a film that's that it's not, it doesn't feel like it's just someone relaying a terrible story and then saying, isn't that awful? Like, yeah. I feel like I get to know who these people are. Well, but yeah, the, I'm the maker of the film is so close to yeah. the story. It's not yeah. like someone who's coming in after the fact. And, yeah. yeah. It's, it's tough, but I, I recommend it. I think yeah. you'd love yeah. it. Yeah. 
They well, eat some of the. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say what else, but you got more to say about Dear Zachary. No, I just didn't. But it's. I think there's an interesting um, categorization about the type of documentaries where the the leader of the documentary is like, "Hello, here's my personality. I'm the leader here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take you on this trip. Here's how I feel about it. Even though I'm going to pretend I don't have an opinion about it, I'm just getting a story." Like. Jarecki or sometimes Michael Moore, even though he's not so much a true crime guy, or Broomfield, or who are some of the other ones. I mean, Errol Morris kind of, what he likes to, seems to do is he, he lets the subject guilt themselves. He's kind of like, he's kind of like the Columbo of true crime, <laughs> where he goes, well, tell me more. You know, <laughs> why else? What else did you do? You know, he's just about to pack up his Interatron and he's like, oh, one yeah. more thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one more thing. <laughs> says, one, one, more, oh, one more thing. And then he spends 20 minutes setting up the lights and all that. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the people who when we were talking about um west of memphis that amy berg directed she also made a uh, deliver us from evil which oh, I yeah did, which i saw that's yeah what do you guys think of that another one that's heavy, that's I, heavy I, I, hard I, I can't see myself watching it again <laughs> i think it's, so, that that one is tough to watch and i think one of the things that i i think a thing that i like and you just mentioned it with with errol morris is like a willingness to just let the person guilt themselves or whatever and it is so makes you feel nauseated makes you feel like throwing up yeah just, it's the opposite we, i was talking about how robert durst is like as as creepy as he is he's like fascinating to watch this guy's the opposite like there's nothing that i like about this guy he's like it's, repugnant yeah, he's so it's this weird he's so ha- he's so happy and he's like he, he refers to the the child molestation it's about it's about a a, a priest who's molested you know thousands hundreds yeah. of kids and and he's free and he he refers to it he refers to certain incidents. He describes certain incidents, and he and he describes them with fondness. And it's it's and he's like, oh, we had a little, you know, and and so I did do that. I did I did, and he's Irish, so his voice sounds extra leprechaun-y, yeah. and it, <laughs> it makes you just feel, ugh, it makes you feel sick. Yeah, the and way I, that he's like, yes, I, you know, and so I did. I played with her panties or something like that. You know, you're yeah. you just feel like throwing up. I have a very specific memory. It's one of the last things in the film, yeah. and it's him talking about the Catholic Church. Yeah. And, and so I'm not, so I'm not Catholic, but I am, uh, I am a Christian. And so I recognize, and I'm very used to people saying, oh, look at what this one person did. And thus the institution is terrible. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a very standard thing. And I think it's, I think it's a silly argument to make. Right. But what he's doing, he's, he's sort of making that argument. He's like, he goes, you know, the church has been through. So, but of course the film is also about how the institution protected him. So Right. This, that's a larger point. But anyway, but he's he's uh, talking about like, he's like, you know, the church has been through a lot of things, but we're still here. And it's like the things that the church have been through in this particular instance is uh, th- things that you've done. Yeah. So like maybe stop being the cheerleader. Yeah. Like and the fact that he can do this. He's so oblivious. With a straight face. Oblivious. He's, like, he's almost like, well, here's the thing that I thought of that it brought in questions about the organization, flaws within the organization, is that like it makes you wonder if there's some sort of um, I don't remember it well enough to articulate it. But it made here's what I got out of it, it made made you wonder if like is the organization um, like in a, maybe unintentionally psychologically breeding this sort of thing, you know, like they think they talked about this sort of, um, uh, and I don't really know much about Catholicism or how the the process is, but like the way that they will shame any kind of sexuality out of this, people at a certain yeah. age, and then and then so they so that almost psychologically turns them into, 
you know, a child molester or something like that. Yeah, it's like that's that's a, a and I think this this is an instance where because like there is the Protestant church, but it's so divided that like there's no Protestant denomination. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's all these different things. And so like you could speak about like Southern Baptist or something like that. It's like, okay, now we're getting more specific, but like Catholicism in general winds up sort of being on trial in that film for a number of reasons. And yeah. in a way that I think is organic because right. you don't think it's um, inappropriate. Like you don't think it's trashy. Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. I, I do think it's, I do think it's possible to, to say, look at what this one person did. And like, let's say in this, in, in a specific instance, like the Catholic church did everything it can to get this guy like arrested and out of the church or whatever. And then it's like, Oh yes, but look at, but because he's, but because he's a Catholic, uh, this whole thing is on trial. That's not the issue. Like they protected him and he is just one instance of of this happening a lot. And so it does seem to, O'Grady was his name. O'Grady. Yeah. 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 Like by having it focused on, it's such an interesting idea that, they don't really have a lot of uh, representatives of the Catholic Church in the film, right? Yeah. Like they have the victims. A lot of them and they wouldn't, wouldn't um, uh, comment, right? Yeah. And so, really, unfortunately, the, they wouldn't yeah, comment. The camera kept breaking. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the and so it's interesting that like oh, so the church won't comment. So guess who? Guess who? The only representative of the church we have is. Oh, it's O'Grady. Yeah, who loves I guess, to talk. Yeah, he's I guess got lots to say. Yeah, I guess that's what'll happen when you don't talk about this. Is we are left with only this image. Yeah. So I feel like it's a film that actually is. It definitely has a point of view, but I feel like its point of view comes about as a function of the the things that naturally happen when the film is being made. Yeah. Um, and that's something that that bothers me about documentaries in general is they'll go in with a point of view and they will stick to that point of view one hundred percent, as opposed to let the events shape where they go. Yeah, and I feel like Deliver Us from Evil does that. Yeah, um, and it's a great movie, but boy, it's yeah, a it's, it's a gather gut punch. Yeah, very that's much the other thing so. I was just going to say about Amy Berg is that like she kind of is a very she seems to be like a class act. Uh, Doc, true crime documentary filmmaker, but almost in the worst way, where it's like I don't want to watch West of Memphis again. It's heavy. It's dense. Right. I don't want to watch. I don't want to watch Delivers from Evil again. It's dense. It's heavy. It's it makes you feel like vomiting. You know, like she's almost like boy, put some humor in there or something. I mean, <laughs> put a piece of trash in there or something. You know, put put something sleazy in there. Give me give me something. Yeah. You know, Errol Morris. Try, does all try walking around uh, walking around with headphones and a big yeah, fluffy boom mic on. Amy Bird, come on, you're, you're too. It's too slick. It's too nice. Um, but anyway, so I just wanted to, to talk on that. And then the other thing I want to say, that just about, I don't know. If, I don't know if I have anything remarkable to say about, but just like the the mentality that is that that gets people hooked on the Jinx or serial or these type of movies, you know and. Um, what is that? Why? Why? You know. Well, and I've known a lot of people in life who are fascinated with serial killers because like, we're just living in fear the whole time. We're just always. Is that what it is? I think it's that we're we're always. I actually, and maybe now, I don't know what it is. Recently, I'm just always in fear. I'm fear like I drive. I'm like, this truck's gonna smash me. God, what if I didn't? What if I? What if I wasn't totally paying attention? What if oh, a person yeah. just walked in front? Like I'm just always afraid, you know. And I'm not so much afraid of. Serial killers, but I did make a tweet recently that was something like, "Oh, a nice thing that Americans like to do is for a pastime is to sit back, relax, and watch a show about murder." <laughs> 
It's That's true. what people That's... love to watch the thing about murder. But I, 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 I don't know that it's as much about what you're talking about, about being afraid of serial killers, but I think it's more about wondering where the line is. Like if, if this is something that a human being is capable of becoming, Mm-hmm. Where am I? Like, like how, how far am there? I? I'm always interested. Yeah, in how th- did they get there? And I think that's a big part of the fascination of things like, like the Jenks right. or even um, narrative series like Breaking Bad or or Sopranos or or, or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's uh, seeing what are what, what are the similarities between me and this monster, and right. what are the differences? There are these likable guys. So the ones that 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 we didn't touch on that that I guess I'll I'll mention that are um, that I have an opinion on. Uh, about what was that thing we were just saying? I forgot something about deliver us from evil. Oh, oh, about like uh, oh, what's wrong with the oh, right, right. Wrong. Yeah. So if you got HBO, go dig up the America Undercover Iceman tapes because those are really fun to watch. And it, and they're just ooh, this guy Richard Kuklinski's his name, and he was like a uh, one of the biggest. Did they, did they make a movie? They yeah, made that Michael, Michael Shannon. Shannon, movie. Shannon yeah, movie. Don't it, don't see that. Yeah, it's a. It's I don't a, mess with it's that. Very dull. Um, I didn't like it. Watch the interviews with the guy because he's. It's just like you're you're hearing what this guy did, and you're seeing like this human being did this, and he and he's 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 just so dry. I don't feel nothing. I don't feel nothing. You know, and like there's one story in there where you're kind of enjoying him talking about. Uh, some of this killing in a pulpy way, you know, and some of these, you know, it's mob stuff. It's fun. And then he tells this one story in one of them. There's three of them. Two of them kind of touch on the same. The third one, he's interviewed by a psychiatrist, and that's really good. Um, that's the one where maybe you saw the commercial where he asked him a question. He goes, you almost made me angry, you know. And uh, <laughs> but, but there's one story where he tells where he's like, one time I want to see if I could kill someone with a crossbow. So uh, there was a guy outside my car window. I uh, got his attention. Asked him for directions somewhere. I shot him with a crossbow. It worked. <laughs> it's almost like he's got a sense Jeez. of humor about it, but it's like you hear that, you're like, oh my God, that's awful. It's just yeah. random guy. Yeah. But I'll tell you about the, what he says, something about, this isn't spoiling too bad. The, the psychiatrist says something like, by the end of it, he's like, interviews him. He says, so basically, you've got a problem. You've got a, some disorder in your brain, some border, some personality disorder, you know, where you don't feel fear. You don't experience fear. So that's enabled you to do a lot of the things that you've done without feeling fear or being scared or whatever. You know, the good news is, well, be, if you've come from a loving background, you know, like parents who they teach you values and they teach you, you know, to value human life and they love you and they bring you up all right, you could go on to do great things like be a pilot or, you know, whatever, whatever else people are not scared of but richard kuklinski came up in this horrible the worst imaginable upbringing you know the most abusive parents you know slapping him and his brother around molesting him you know beating each other up beating the mother mother beating him and just horrible and uh so you know of course he doesn't value human life and he just kills people at any just any second and it's not even like a serial killer thing he's like he just will just kill someone he just won't think twice about it. You know what I mean? Anyway, those are very, I will, you know, I How hate to say they were fun to watch. They're like each, I think they're each a half hour or okay. 45 minutes each, you know. Um, also really stupid on uh, HBO Go. And, and it's this 80s, 90s America undercover called Mob Stories, which is really fun. It's just each, it's interviews with all these different mob guys who ratted or whatever. And most of them have, 
because it's made in the pre-internet most of them have disguises on so they're wearing fake mustaches <laughs> and it's great you have to see it it's great it's very funny and like yeah so i did it i read it you know and i don't feel good about it but i'm glad it wasn't me you know or whatever <laughs> and uh um, those are really fun another one which i didn't like i don't recommend there's something wrong with aunt diane um um, that's in, on HBO. Another one I don't really like that's on HBO is called The Cheshire Murders, which is just, ugh, it's rough. Okay. It's kind of like an In Cold Blood sort of a thing where these guys killed, you know, this family and then and the authorities in this small town had never really dealt with something like that. It was in Connecticut and it just got way out of hand and it just got way worse and then they burned the house down or whatever. It's rough. It's, it's another one where it's like, ugh, this is too nasty. Um... Central Park Five, we talked about that. Yeah, one. yeah, that's Ken Burns. I think it's his only true crime documentary. Yeah, but it's. I mean, he's only one of three credited directors. It's him and his daughter, right, and another guy. Let's face it, it's a Ken Burns movie. <laughs> um, but, but it doesn't have that Ken Burns feel where it's like all like the stereotypical Ken Burns thing. Have that's the, like the doesn't have Peter, over. Peter Coyote or Keith Dave or someone narrating. <laughs> yeah, not Peter Coyote. It's not like panning over still images or it's yeah. not only that. Right. Mixed with talking heads. There's other. Yeah, yeah. Other but that's a great that's a great kind of just anthropologically cool because you just get to see all this footage from, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. And it's another story about yeah. how the police co- coke stays very similar to. It'll Paradise make you Lost. mad. Yeah, it'll make you angry, you know, and yeah. make you pissed. Um, uh a house of Suh is an interesting one about a, a, a guy who's like a, um, um, who's it's, I don't even know how to describe it. Basically his sister, I think his sister somehow managed to convince him to kill like their dad or their sister's boyfriend or something like that. And they trace it all back to the strict Korean upbringing that they both had. And the sister was kind of a rebellious teen and she, <coughs> um, and, and she, you know, didn't get along with the pa- parents and the parents both died or whatever. And, but there's a great reenactment scene that I guess they made a Christy Swanson movie out of, um, out of the story. The chase. And, no, uh, oh, that, okay. oh no, no, different one. Uh, <laughs> house of, uh, another great one is the imposter. I would definitely recommend that one. And yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about that. that. One's cool. Just the way that they direct it is cool. They do a lot of reenactments that are very slick, but, um, the guy who did everything, basically a guy claims to be this, kidnapped kid and and he's in spain and the right. family goes along with it you know right. but he's and like he's 15 just, years older than the kid was or something yeah, like he's that. older he's not even he's not even white and the family is kind of he's like a spanish guy and uh and and uh brazilian or something i don't remember where he's from but but uh the family's like okay they kind of go along with it and then at one point the documentary asserts maybe the family killed him or whatever but oh. that's from him and he's this con artist you know right he's just like a great con artist um, I think that's I think that's all the ones I I, I haven't seen Incident at Oglala, um, which is directed by um, Michael Apted. I watched uh, this one called Rainbow Man, which is also kind of interesting, but it's just like cheap, kind of shitty. Um, I was scraping at this point. I watched Rainbow Man and this one about Andrew Cunanan, which was also not that great, called Fashion Victim. Did you um, and the Jonestown one, which is not really true crime; it's more okay. cults, but. You know, Do you remember a TV series, short-lived, I mean, like two seasons, called Most Evil? Mm-mm. Uh, it's, yeah, it was pretty gross. Like, it, it's just about um, some of the worst serial killers and crime right. in, uh, in 
Yeah, I guess they're mostly in America. I don't know if it's available anywhere, but I used to like unsolved mysteries. Uh, are America's most wanted. Yeah, but it, like really dark stuff. I think it was on like A and E, and it was again yeah. most evil. So it was like right. literally about these just some of the worst the most evil. Yeah, uh, my my ex girlfriend was really into that, and so I watched a lot with with her. Yeah, uh, but I don't really remember. I don't know if it's still uh, uh, if it's available anywhere. Yeah, but uh, there's another one on HBO which I didn't finish, but it's kind of what the movie To Die For. It's about it's about the case that that movie was. Oh, I saw up. that. What, what was it called? I can't remember. Oh, I completely forgot and that, that woman. I saw that. The documentary makes that woman out to have gotten screwed. You know, like she didn't really. I didn't see it all, but it's on HBO Go. Yeah, oh, like man. in the spotlight, it's like a spotlight or superstar or something or glam lover. Yeah, one of those type of like yeah, a why attention I... hog or something like that. Yeah, but, um, uh, that's gonna bug me because I did watch that. It's it's not bad. Yeah, well, what's what happens in it? That's uh, uh, it's just these two these two kind of white trash kids get accused of. Um, well, it's not killing that, someone. It's uh, not necessarily trying to make the case that she is innocent but more making the case that this was an incredibly poorly run trial mm-hmm. and that, um, which is another recurring theme of these. True yeah. Crime yeah. And because it, it, it was such a media sensation. Yeah. Like a tabloid type of thing. Uh, and the, 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 the judge in the state made no, no effort against the defense attorney's wishes to like keep the jurors away from any of this. And, and essentially, I don't like Mondays is another one. Sorry. I remember. It's, is that about that girl who, yeah. Oh, wow. It's not um, that great. Actually. It's pretty, it's, it's almost like a PBS special, but anyway, anyway, go ahead, sorry. uh, but basically it makes the case that whether she was guilty or not, when she walked into the courtroom, her, her, her fate was already sealed because yeah. of how poorly the uh, court of public opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how the jurors were not protected from any of that and how, how unfair her trial was. Yeah. Josh, I, I was, uh, looking up uh, a film that I had seen, but I didn't remember the name of, and I feel like maybe you might've said it already. It's called witch hunt. I haven't seen that one. It's a documentary about, uh, and it's narrated by Sean Penn. Uh, is that how he does it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's my Sean Penn impression. It's a, it's not bad. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and it's there's some glottal glumps in there too. <laughs> and it's uh, it's about the um, in the eighties uh, in Bakersfield mm-hmm. there was. Uh, all these accusations of child molestation of all these like parents, just this group of parents that happen to know each other in this one neighborhood. Yeah. And they were all accused of like molesting their children. Yeah. And, and I think they were like, they were arrested and all that. And, uh, and it was basically like what, what we were, what we've been talking about. Yeah. Uh, basically no, I think n- literally nobody actually wound up molesting. Wow. Their kids. kids all it was there. It was just the uh, the uh, police uh, coaxing a certain type of testimony out of the kids. Yeah, and it's just so horrendous to think that you know because it's it's not because that and that was a very high profile. You know, you mentioned court of public opinion. Yeah, like, yeah. That was a very high profile case, and even though the 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 parents and stuff were vindicated and their kids were returned to them. Like they just talk about how like, yeah, even since then, like people still look at you funny cause yeah. you never know. Yeah. And Did you see the, um, Vinterberg film, the hunt? 
I did not. With, uh, with starring uh, Mads Mikkelsen. I know David did not care for it. Yeah, we just talked about it. It's kind of the same plot of what you described. Though. Captivated is the Pamela Smart one. The, Captivated, the, right. Sorry. All right. I, I kind of didn't hear anything you guys said for the last five minutes. We're talking about, we're talking about a documentary the, that's about the hunt, but it's with like oh, 20 okay. parents. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, you know, I'll say on the true kind, as talking about this genre of true crime doc, the molestation ones are not the ones I really want to watch as much. There, I actually only watched Deliver Us from Evil because I was scraping. I'm like, I'm running out of murder ones. <laughs> Give me, ugh, all right, I'll watch this one because it's the only one left in the cinephile pile. I'm fascinated by like, and this is not we're we're not in documentary now, but like, so I love Law and Order. Yeah. Oh, I also did True Detective just because, okay, I, which I, I still have not seen, yeah. but uh, but like, so I love. The show Law and Order. I've watched a couple episodes of SVU, and I know people that will watch every single episode of SVU, and it's all it's all sex crimes. Yeah, like that's it's what it basically thing, is. It? And I'm like, look, I get it. Murder's bad. Yeah, you know, but it's not. And you know, and uh, with Law and Order, every once in a while, it's you know, it's like a rape or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And, but it the but crime the crimes really vary. Like, you like the rape episodes? Yeah, here's a whole bunch. Of here's them. a whole bunch. And it's all young kids. What do you think of that? Ugh. And it's just, it's horrible. And I don't understand what it is. Again, this goes back I, to what we were talking I, about. Like, what is it about? Like, there's something, like, a, a morbid fascination with something is one thing. But, like, SVU, I think, is still on. Uh, yeah, that's the one that's Law and Order got canceled. SVU Criminal still around. Criminal intent's gone. Yeah. They're all gone, but SVU's living. I think there's like, you know, you heard people say there was an article recently about binge watching Link to Depression, and I believe it. I, when I binge watched The Staircase, I was depressed. When I binge watched Breaking Bad, I was depressed. When I binge watched uh, uh, True Detective, even though it was only six episodes, I was kind of depressed because I just, I have to not live my life one more time. One more time, I'll just keep one more. But I'll say, watching a lot of Columbo, I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a good enough place to end it. Um, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can uh, follow me, David, on Twitter at DaveyPretension. You can follow Tyler at Tyler Pretension. Uh, my other podcast, well, Tyler, your other podcast is called More Than One Lesson. That's right. What's going on this week? Well, I said last week that we would be discussing uh, the film Lock with uh, Tom Hardy, but because I was sick, I was unable to record that episode. But uh, by the time this goes up, that episode should now be available. Okay. Yeah, it's great with Tom Hardy. Man, my fear, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Um, my other podcast is called Hey, Watch This, and this week we'll be talking about the season series premiere of Aquarius and the season one finale of Outlander. So check that out. Josh, where can people you find still you? Haven't, and you still haven't watched Better Call Saul, all these TV shows you watch? I know, right? Uh, but you were saying before, we were chatting about it before, that you were like, eh, what if it's not as good? Is that what your reason for not watching it was? I, I think I did have this, like... It's a great show. It's not Breaking Bad, but it's a yeah. different show. No, I, no that's show. no longer my thing, because people right. say it's good. But that's... When Better Call Saul was announced, my feeling was, I loved Breaking Bad. I don't want to, like... Don't mess with it. I don't want to mess with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think even if you did, didn't ever see Breaking Bad, it, it'd be a great show. I'm sure. I think okay. it's entirely possible. I might... I haven't seen any of Better Call Saul. I might like it more. I, I kind of like. I definitely enjoy watching it more. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I love Breaking Bad because it's amazing for the way it, the stuff it gets out of me. Like I can't believe I'm feeling this way. It's so intense. I'm terrified and all that. But 
you don't feel that way with Better Call Saul. Maybe one episode they throw a couple of that in there, but uh, it's its own other thing that's great, and it's just a great character show, you know. And what it's is, about what? this guy trying to this guy trying to stay. Um, he's trying to find a moral point of view, and the world just keeps telling him like, it's, "Why? Why? You know? Well, why would you do that when all this shit? You know, or whatever." What episode are you in? Four. Four. What what character do you play? I play the cranky camera guy. All right. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye out for you. Where, where can people find you? They uh, can find me on at Josh Fadem everywhere. On Twitter at Josh Fadem, J-O-S-H-F-A-D-E-M. Instagram at Josh Fadem. Uh, Tumblr, Josh Fadem. Periscope, Josh Fadem. Vine. Snapchat, Josh Fadem. Vine, Josh Fadem. Pinterest. Never heard of it. No, I think I'm on Pinterest, but I, I maybe I don't, know don't, don't bother looking for me on there. I don't even know what it is. I don't either. You can find, you know, at me on Pinterest, guys. Hashtag me on Pinterest. And that's a good place to end it. Thanks for being here. We'll get Fish. you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.